This is episode number 012 of the Reno Slant. It's the Halloween edition. Football's coming off a huge win, and basketball season is here. Welcome to the Reno Slant, the podcast for Northern Nevada sports fans, where an award-winning sports writer and his Nevada alum brother discuss Nevada football, Nevada basketball, and, well, pretty much everything else Nevada, except for the Loyalist Chicago tournament game. We don't talk about that. Here are your bro hosts, Adam and Nathan Schaub. Man, that was a fun one on Saturday night. I was actually so into that when I was watching it on my phone at a bar on Fremont Street. Wolfpack picked up its biggest win in years. That's not hyperbole. Surviving a Hail Mary for a 28-24 home win over San Diego State on Saturday night. Nevada now just one win away from going back to a bowl with three really winnable games left down the stretch. Adam and I have a few things to say about that game. Then Nevada is on bye this week, so no game until November 10th. That'll be senior night against Colorado State. Last home game of the year already for Nevada football. But there is a hoops game on Tuesday night. Football season has been here. Basketball season is essentially here. As I said, starting Tuesday night against BYU, the most anticipated season ever for this Nevada basketball program. Adam and I are going to share our thoughts on the upcoming season. What do we think are the biggest storylines going into the 2018-2019 season? What's the concern level after the exhibitions? Or what should the concern level be after the exhibitions? And what are some of the most important games of this upcoming season? Then we're going to take a look at BYU. What do we need to know about the Cougs? What are the keys to a Nevada win? And yes, we'll share our predictions in that one. I told you guys last week to be excited about this week's guest. We didn't put it on Twitter. didn't put anything out there. But if you're listening to this episode, now you know who it is. Chris Murray, former RGJ Nevada beat writer, now at Nevada Sportsnet, talking all things Nevada. Hoops, football, then we got into, yes, Dodgers and Halloween stuff because it's we're recording at 6.30 on Halloween night. So a pretty good chance you guys will hear a couple doorbells <laughs> while I'm recording kids showing up at the front door for slants this week. We got Twitter questions from you guys. And another slate of really great questions from you guys. Games of the weekend. Last week we deb- debuted, wow, San Jose State is bad. This week we're mixing it up. Wow, UNLV is bad. <laughs> Some of you guys know why if you if you saw it score last week and then random Reno of course. But first, our iTunes five star review of the week comes from Todd. Todd says, "I swear I already did this, but then I double checked. Turns out never hit the submit button for all the flack I give you guys on Twitter. I deserve a little for this. I would venture to say a lot, Todd. I don't, I don't, I, I've never submitted an iTunes review. I can't be that complicated. I don't know." <laughs> anyway, awesome podcast. I really enjoy the interviews, brother, brotherly banter, and the fact we have a pod heavily dedicated to Nevada Wolfpack Athletics. So, Todd, you're the man. We appreciate the love. Most of you know Todd on Twitter as TLMU72. Huge, huge Nevada Hoops fan and Twitter presence. So if you aren't following Todd, uh, go ahead and give him a follow. Adam, you've been vocal about this. I mentioned it's, it's Halloween. It's our Halloween show. You're not a Halloween fan at all, so I guess how are you excited that it's it's finally here and thus close to ending? <laughs> yeah, I'm actually just glad I've almost gone the whole month without eating any candy. That's been something pretty pretty good. But yeah, no, I'm just I for whatever reason I don't even remember. I just remember being like 
the middle school age, maybe a little bit younger. I don't know when you kind of stopped dressing up. I was never really into it. I mean, I just had that referee jersey all through college or to every college party. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm I'm ready to welcome November in. So are you guys going to have trick-or-treaters at the house? Do you have candy? Are you prepared? Do you turn the porch light off and hope no one rings the doorbell? Yeah, so last year it was just Albert and I, and we ended up having to take about three different trips to CVS because we kept running out of candy. <laughs> but, but, um, yeah, and no, I, him and his girlfriend, I know they got a couple bags of huge bags of candy almost like a month ago too, super early, but they're ready to go. So yeah, I was going to mention too, if you hear doorbells and a little bit of ruckus, we probably got some little kiddos <laughs> at our front door too. Yeah, we got our candy like two weeks ago and it was a mistake because one of the bags is already gone <laughs> almost and it's entirely because of me. It was the one with Tootsie Rolls, the uh, long skinny ones, the fat ones and the flavored ones. Okay. It has dots. People give dots a hard time. I like dots and suckers. Yeah, they're not bad. Oh, the little tootsie roll suckers. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Well, we got we were smart. They're hidden way deep in one pantry, so they're out of sight, out of mind. Oh, they were right by the front door. It was a problem. <laughs> and you you did not go to the game on Saturday night, right? Yep, I was lame. I did defend, not make defend it. Defend yourself, because we're gonna talk about the attendance. Okay, so I sent out a couple feeler texts, wasn't getting any positive responses, clock started ticking, I was trying to figure out what I was going to do, because whether I was going to tailgate or not, ultimately it came down to not enough buddies were going, and then it just got to, I just ended up sitting on the couch and watching it. Pathetic. Yeah, so I'll, I'll wear the shame badge this week, that was my bad, I should have <laughs> been there, but for whatever reason, right at that moment, that's on Saturday, it felt right. <laughs> All right, in that game, Nevada 28-24 winner Saturday night at Mackey Stadium. Nevada now 5-4, and 3-2 and two in the Mountain West, has won two straight for the first time since the final two games of the Brian Pullian era in 2016. San Diego State dropped to 6-2, and 3-1 and one in the Mountain West. Hawaii a couple weeks ago was also 3-0, and oh, so two weeks in a row. Nevada hands a Mountain West team its first conference loss. I'll start with takeaways from this one. And my first mm -hmm. one is it's just a massive, massive win for the program. I, we talked about last week that if Nevada would have pulled that one out, it would have been maybe the biggest win since the 2014 home win against San Diego state. And I think really you could go back even maybe further than that to beat a team like San Diego state where Nevada was the last few years it's just a huge, huge win for this program, for this coaching staff, for the seniors who were here when it got dark and when they had to switch coaching staffs. And so really I'm just, I'm thrilled for Jay Norville. I've said on the show several times. I think he's so easy to root for. You see the videos of him in the locker room when they're doing the, when the pack goes in March, when the pack was marching in video and he's in the middle of it bouncing up and down. Um, they were down 14 nothing early. They're down 24 mm -hmm. 15 at the half. And I actually looked it up. When Nevada's down at the half before Saturday, they're one and eleven under Jay Norvell. And they're down two scores to a good San Diego State team. So just a a really, really impressive win for the program. Yeah, I guess it goes with the heart of the team. That's kind of one of the points I was talking gonna bring up because if you look at the statistical sheet, I mean San Diego State pretty much owned Nevada. You know, total yards, yep. first downs. 
Um, but turnovers, obviously Nevada had, you know, they had forced two. they got San Diego state had zero. So it just shows kind of the heart of the team that even though on the stat sheet, if you look at that, you think that San Diego state would have won the outcome of that game, but you know, sometimes it's how it is. If you stick with it, you know, at the home, you kind of got some home magic going, then I mean, you start to kind of have games like these where you may not have done everything perfect on paper, but you still do eke them out in the end. And so I think that's a, also a nice shining point that, the team's getting to a point where victories like this are possible. Yeah. If you look at the stat sheet, you would look at it and say, wait, Nevada won this game? Because mm-hmm. San Diego State had almost 150 more yards of offense. They had way more first downs. They won time of possession. Mm-hmm. They, were, they were better on third down. You mentioned the turnovers. But really, who deserves a ton of credit, and he's been getting it. He even got the game ball after the game, but it was punter Quentin Conaway. What a game from him. It's not a mm-hmm. lot you see a punter decide a game, but he was so, so big in that game. You can't overstate how, how big he was. Nine punts, over 51 yards of punt, four inside the 20, but really there were two punts that I thought swung the game. He has the mm-hmm. punt and the, he has the punt at the end of the game that pinned San Diego State at the one. They need a touchdown. Now they have to go 99 yards in, in a minute. So that one was huge. But he had the sneaky play of the game at the end of the first quarter when he had the punt. He down it was either the one or the two. And a couple plays later, Nevada gets a holding in the end zone, gets a safety, gets the ball back, and then scores a touchdown on that drive. Mm-hmm. So Nevada was punting the ball down 14 nothing, But he's able to pin him at the one. It ends up being a nine-point swing in Nevada's favor. And that really, I don't want to say flipped the script, but it – it got Nevada going because if if that if that's a crappy punt, San Diego State has good field, field mm-hmm. position. They're moving the ball at will in the first quarter. Now you go down twenty-one nothing or seventeen nothing, whatever, and then it's probably game over. Yeah. So so that was a huge punt, huge game from, from Quentin <laughs> in his post-game press conference. Not a lot. You get the punter. Yeah, it's gonna in, say <laughs> in the post-game press conference. How great was that? He called himself the yeah. fourth-down quarterback, which is so funny. I mean, anyone who follows <laughs> him on Twitter, follow Nevada, especially in the preseason, Nevada football. Just a hilarious, hilarious dude. So hopefully we can maybe at some point get Quentin on the show. That'd be great. But, uh, there you go. Yeah. That'd be sweet to have him snag him. The, the punter, Quentin Conway deserves <laughs> all of the love that, that's come his mm-hmm. way. He, he had a massive, massive game. Yeah. Well, you got, you got defensive player of the week, right? For the Mountain West or not defense, special teams player of the week. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. That was about to be a bad slip up. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, the other thing I was going to touch on too, it's something we've been talking about a lot, is, you know, defense did kind of give up a lot in regards to total yards and everything, but zero points in the second half is just insane. Yeah. I mean, San Diego State is a, definitely a team that they're not just going to put up zero and a half to anybody. You know, it's got to be somebody that's a, you know, formidable opponent. And so that the defense is just, they're really shining when they need to, is I guess well go on it right now. So those la- these last couple games, they've really just been stepping on the pedal. Yeah, that was my last one too. The the first quarter was kind of like because I was I was yeah. running around. I didn't, I wasn't watching. I just checked the checked the app and what the mm-hmm. hell? They have two passing touchdowns. They have how many yards of offense in the first quarter? What is going on? Yeah, it did take a little settle in. So to to start in that fashion and then be that dominant in in the second half, if Nevada. If Nevada gives up one touchdown in the second half, they they lose that game probably. Mm-hmm. So um, to put up a zero in the second half, did a little bit of math here. We're a math podcast now. <laughs> 
In the second half, San Diego State, 121 yards of offense on 31 plays. That's less than four yards of play, and most of those yards came on the final drive. I think they got 59 yards in that final drive before the Hail Mary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They had, let's not forget, San Diego State took over at the Nevada 41 with less than three minutes left, and they threw four plays, resulting in zero yards of offense. And they probably needed five or six yards to get in field mm-hmm. goal range for their kicker. And for yeah, Nevada I, not to allow a single a single yard in that situation, massive. Yeah, massive. And they, and they they had the safety in the first quarter. They should have had a safety on that final drive. The first play out, there was clearly holding in the end zone. The refs didn't call, but that was mine as well. I was, as as just completely continue to be amazed by this defense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. All right. No football game this week, so we're I guess we're gonna put football on the back burner here for a second because it's it's basketball season now. <laughs> Holy cow, we've been basketball was one of the real reasons we wanted to start this podcast, just because we could feel the sense of excitement for this program coming into this year. It's I'm not counting the exhibitions as basketball season officially arriving. So the exhibitions were not great. You were at the Washington game. Mm-hmm. The San Francisco State University. I had to look. I thought that was maybe even a JC. I learned it was a Division II school. Either yeah. way, they, Nevada, Nevada was up two, down three at the half, whatever it was. Yeah, I think I think they were up two, but coming I can't, coming I can't off exactly remember coming off uh, performance against Washington. You, you just sense it, like oh no, mm-hmm. <laughs> oh no. You can see the dark cloud coming over the Sierras right now. <laughs> so I'll, I'll let you start. What is your concern level after two shaky performances and exhibitions? I'm not concerned. I mean, they don't really, in the end, don't mean anything. They weren't playing. You know, Musselman wasn't using the guys, especially against Washington, the way he normally will during the season. You know, it's, I don't know. It's just the weird, the dynamics kind of weird. You know, there's, you know, there's no real marbles at stake besides bragging rights and stuff. So yeah, they did, especially the, my, my big concern was the three. I mean, if I'm going to have one is the three point shooting because it was dreadful in the expedition, ex, exhibition games is 23% yeah. against UW and 18 and a half against uh, San Francisco state. So, I mean, that'd be the only thing kind of, but you would expect that once the season starts going, they start getting more in a rhythm. It'll be, you know, that that'll improve. But it's just, I mean, my concern level is not high, especially just because exhibitions, they know it's exhibitions. Yeah. They're just kind of mix things up, see, get different looks and whatnot, see what works and what doesn't. But that, what do you think? That's pretty much my thought as well. I mean, you, you certainly would have preferred to see Nevada come out and beat a good Washington team and then just from the mm-hmm. jump handle a San Francisco State team. They, yeah. they, they, and they certainly did in the second half of that game defensively. They were a lot better. Three-point shots still weren't going. But there's a lot to figure out for this team. There's a lot of new guys mixing. Okay, what's the rotation going to look like? Who's going to play what roles? Who's going to play well together? Who's not going to play well together? You're going to play big. Or you're going to play small. Washington's going to be one of the better teams Nevada sees this entire regular season. So it's again, like as you mentioned, these aren't games Musa's necessarily coaching to win. You're trying to figure out a lot, a lot out in these exhibitions. I think how this team plays on the perimeter was a storyline coming into this season. You mentioned mm-hmm. three-point shooting, and it appears that's still going to be the case. You have five transfers who are joining the roster, I guess, in terms of eligibility this year. Three for 24 from deep in the two exhibitions. That's just 
yikes. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, yeah. and so for those, those are guys that are used to at their former schools who are used to holding the ball a lot, dribbling the ball a lot, getting open looks, having plays designed for them. And now they're going to be more of role players uh, on this roster. So how do they adjust to that? So I think the, them shooting so poorly in the first two is reflective of that. Okay. You got some guys in new roles and how you can handle that. Maybe now you're taking different shots. So I'm not concerned. With, we knew it was going to take time for this team to gel and figure things out. The hope is going to be they can find a way to beat BYU on Tuesday. That's a good BYU team. Mm-hmm. That Then the schedule gets pretty soft with Pacific and Little Rock and Cal Baptist and Tulsa. And those are all teams that are going to start the year ranked 100 plus in Ken yeah. Palm. Biggest storylines coming into the season. I'll let you start this one too. Uh, you mentioned it right before. It's just kind of the brief topic of can the team gel together. Obviously, a lot of transfers coming in. You still have, you know, Martin, Caroline, a lot of these guys that have been here. But like you said, you're mixing pieces from different puzzles and you're putting these pieces in different positions. And so obviously the BYU game is going to be the tougher one. Then they get to the softer side. But I'll be curious to see, I guess, how quickly the team kind of, because you know, when you watch a basketball game, you can kind of be like, all right, this team's clicking. You know, they, they know where everybody's going to be. Right. How many, how many games or how, I guess, long it's going to take before watching a Nevada game where you're kind of like, all right, these guys, you know, you know, they, they can, they can run this offense like they could last with their eyes closed or whatever. Right. They know that it's, that, you know, that everybody's, you know, synced up. Sure. So, sure. That's what I got. Yeah. With, with so many new guys coming in, I'm fascinated to see how Musselman's going to handle all this talent. Mm-hmm. Having having depth, having a, a really a surplus of talent is something that's new to Musselman, at least new to him in his time in Reno. It's a good problem to have, certainly, but you got a lot of dudes who are used to playing a lot of minutes and used to getting a lot of shots. Mm-hmm. And for some of these dudes, it's going to be a big, big difference in role. So... Can they, are they going to stay involved? What is Musk going to do to keep these guys involved if they're only playing, you know, eight, ten, eight, nine, ten minutes a game, maybe even less than that? You mm-hmm. know, if you lose them, do they start turning sour? I think it's easier to stay involved if you're winning basketball games. Yeah. But if you have a couple early losses, guys start getting peeved. They're not getting theirs. Um, so that, that's something to, to certainly look at. Musk never had a deep bench. Who's he going to trust? We're going to talk to Chris Murray here in a little bit. And it's one of the things he's going to hit on is Musselman's circle of trust. And it's not big, <laughs> at mm-hmm. least at least not <laughs> early, early in the season. Yeah. Is he going to be able to play Trey Porter and, and Jordan Brown out there at the same time and go big? And then if they do that, are they playing zone defense? Another thing we'll talk to Chris Murray about. Or is he going to just go small? And that's something that he's certainly comfortable with. You know, we saw Jordan Caroline playing the five a lot of last year. So, to me, it's just going to be fascinating to see how minutes are handled, especially early in the season as guys are fighting for roles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then I guess following up on the exhibition games, my I'll put it my light concern is going to be a three-point shooting. Like you said, you're going to have guys shooting from different spots, different angles, different positions and whatnot. So obviously those first two exhibition games were not pretty. I mean, if you combine them, they're probably shooting right about 20% from the three-point range. And for a team that shoots a lot of threes – uh, that's going to need to improve rather quickly if they're going to be, you know, trying to stay on, you know, on, on top of the, the national rate rankings and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. That was my next one as well, too. Um, three point shooting was not a strength of Nevada 
in years past. And then it really became a strength, especially last year with Kendall Stevens setting a Mountain West record with 126 threes. He was a 43% shooter with that kind of volume, which is nuts. Yeah, so, that's insane. So who's going to stretch the floor for this Nevada team? You know, you know, Caleb is capable uh, of hitting threes and you have guys who have hit a lot of threes at their past schools, but can they do it now in this system wearing a different, different uniform? You last year, I didn't, I didn't realize how I was looking through the box, box or looking through the stats from last year. How many threes Hallis Cook actually shot and made? He was actually mm-hmm. the most efficient three point shooter on the team. 90 attempts. Made 43. That was a 48% clip, which yeah. is bonkers. Yeah. So you have Caleb. Cody apparently is going to, has put an emphasis on his three point shot. I know Jordan Caroline, that's something the NBA scouts told him as well. But you have Jazz Johnson, Corey Henson, Nizre Zuzawa, all those guys. Who, who is going to emerge in that group as the sniper? I mean, I would, yeah. I would probably look at Jazz Johnson or Corey Henson. Would probably be the two that I would go to, but any of those guys are certainly capable of stepping up. But certainly who can stretch the floor is something to look at and a concern, as you mentioned, through after the two exhibition games. Mm-hmm. Oh, that, that was what I had for – I said those for the All big right. storylines. I, I got one more. How is this team going to handle adversity this year? Mm. Ever since last year, everyone's been pumping this team up. Everyone. Now the Martin yeah. Twins are coming back. Now Jordan Caroline's coming back. Now Jordan Brown is signing. Now all the transfers coming in. And it's just been progressively growing this Nevada basketball hype machine. Mm-hmm. I don't want to burst anyone's bubble here, but Nevada's not going to go undefeated this year. Nevada's going to lose some basketball games. So how does this team bounce back to that? If Are they going to lose games early? Are they going to lose to BYU on Tuesday? It's possible. BYU's a legit team, and we saw what Nevada looked like in the two exhibitions, so I don't don't want to rule that out entirely. If you're being dismissive of BYU, you're not paying attention. So how is this team going to bounce back from some of those losses? Um, non-conference, really, really tough. You're playing three Pac-12 teams, and we'll get into that here in a minute. I really like... Caleb Martin's leadership, he showed some of that after the Washington game, saying some guys aren't getting it all in practice. And, you know, you, you can't just sleepwalk through practice and expect to turn it on, on on game day. So I think there's really a lot on Caleb Martin's shoulders, not only on the court, but from a leadership standpoint this year. Mm-hmm. Like he He's the guy. He's the All-American guy. Crazy that he's getting this kind of love at a school like Nevada, but he's earned it. So how will this team handle adversity? And I think a lot of that's going to be on, on Caleb Martin's shoulders, honestly. Yeah, it'll definitely have to steer that horse in the right direction. Because, I mean, especially, too, you think about adversity. It usually takes a lot of teams, you know, they've got to be together a while. And then it, they handle it, obviously, a lot more, you know, a lot better ultimately. But a team that's so new like Nevada and a lot of the guys mm-hmm. coming from all over the place, it, it is going to be interesting to see how, yeah, how they do recover from, you know, some maybe some of the negative things during the season. Right. All right, biggest non-conference games of the season. There have been some people, I I wish I could cite them because I I just truly don't remember, that have said that Nevada maybe has the best non-conference schedule of any non-Power 5 school or of any mid-major. I'll put it that way. So what are some of the games that you are looking at that you have circled for non-conference? 
Well, you hit on it a second ago. So I went the all Pac-12 route. I took the three. I got greedy and took all three Pac-12 games. <laughs> you got at, at USC December 1st. Then you got in a neutral location on December 7th against Arizona State. And then you got at Utah December 29th. Um, Pac-12 hasn't in the last couple of years hasn't been the best basketball conference. Right. But, I mean, those aren't going to be easy wins. They're playing in some tough locations. So those are my big non-conference. Yeah, those three certainly. USC, December 1st, that's game eight of the season. Arizona State, that's at Staples Center. The next game, Arizona State, according to Ken Palm, is the best team Nevada is going to play this year, at least as of now. They're 53rd, according to mm-hmm. Ken Palm. And then Utah is Ken Palm, 73. That's game 13. That's the last non-conference game of the season. And that one, I got kind of circled. Because that's going to be kind of a bring-your-own-energy type of game. It's December 29th. It's after Christmas. It's before New Year's. Your routine's totally out of whack. Now you're on the road. You're playing in a tough place like Utah. That's going to be a great, great test for this Nevada team to see what they got in the tank. Because uh-huh. that, that's a that's – a, if there's a trap game, that is it. <laughs> and it. You're looking head to conference starting the next game. I mean, that has all the makings – of one. So that, that'll be a good test for this Nevada team. Some other games. BYU on Tuesday. According to Ken Palm, this is the best team that's coming to Lawler this year. And, and you get them right out of the gate. You got at Loyola Chicago. That's a rematch of the Sweet 16 game. The little clicking around on Loyola Chicago. Apparently they played Indiana on a scrimmage in a scrimmage and lost 70 to 48. So it could Ooh. always, it could always Ooh. be worse. Nevada fans. Yeah. Length apparently was a serious problem for. Loyola Chicago in that game, and we know Nevada has length this year. They do bring back three of five starters, Loyola Chicago does, including Clayton Custer, and Nevada fans are sick of hearing that name after uh-huh. the Sweet 16 name, or Sweet 16 game. And the other one... I, I thought we don't talk about that game. <laughs> True. We don't talk about that game. And the other one I have circled is December 15th versus South Dakota State. For people who maybe don't know a ton about college basketball or maybe new to it this year because Nevada's starting to do some things, South Dakota State, you would think, just look at it penciled in. But this is a good South Dakota State team. They went 28-7 and last year. They were a tournament team. They were a 12 seed, and they have one of the best power forwards in the country. His name is escaping me. Dom, I believe is his last name. But he, he averaged 24-10 and last year, can really shoot it. That's going to be a really good task for Jordan Brown or – Jordan Brown and or Jordan Caroline in that one. All right. What are some Mountain West games you have circled this year? So I just went to pretty much the two. I'm sure you got these ones as well. I got at Boise State January 15th and then the season finale at home against San Diego State March 9th. So obviously Boise is a tough place to play. Playing in January, like you said, I mean, you got a couple weeks after the break and everything, but that's kind of when things are going to start getting heated up. I know that's earlier in their Mountain West. Yeah. I can't, I can't, I can't remember exactly which game it is, but so you got that one and then bringing it home, the last game against San Diego State. That's going to be obviously before we get into, you know, into the Mountain West tournament play. So those, that's going to be into factor, kind of seeing where everybody's at. Um, and then it'll kind of just be, I mean, before March starts, hopefully, if, you know, God forbid something happens, but <laughs> everybody's yeah. going to start, get, you know, March is rolling around. Everybody's going to start getting excited. It's a, you know, San Diego State's going to be good. So them coming to Lawler will be just a good way to end it. Yeah. 
both of those were also ones that I had circled. I, I listed five because I really you could say <laughs> all of them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it, exactly. It, it's conference play, but we tried to pick out a few of the of the notable ones. So I started with the January fifth game at New Mexico. It's only the second conference game of the season, but that's Nevada's first time going back to the pit since the miracle in the mm-hmm. pit that. Unbelievable comeback. Great, Jordan Carrier scoring 45 points, whatever that was, win overtime. That game was absolutely bonkers. And New Mexico is good this year. They're picked to finish third in the conference. So that will be a good test for Nevada. You mentioned the January 15th game at Boise. Never easy going to Boise and winning a game there. I got the January 29th game at UNLV. Um, Rebels, if, if there's one team in the conference that's hearing about Nevada, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, all of them probably are, but it's definitely got to be UNLV, and that'll be the first meeting of the year. It'll be down here in Vegas. I will absolutely be at that game, so that is, is a game to look at. The February twentieth game at San Diego State. Nevada has struggled with San Diego State since joining the Mountain West. Some of these numbers are are pretty crazy, actually. At Nevada, Mus is two and five against San Diego State. Two and five. Okay. Not the best. 0 and 2 at the VAO Center. So they've never gone to San Diego State and won under Eric Musselman. And they're 0 and 5 at San Diego State since joining the Mountain West. Oh. Winning basketball games at San Diego State has been incredibly difficult for this Nevada team. In total, since joining the Mountain West, Nevada is 2 and 10 versus San Diego State. Both wins were at home the last couple of years. So that would be a real testament to the growth of this program if they can go to San Diego State and pick up a win there because that's something that they just haven't been able to do. And then, as you mentioned, yeah, the March 9th game versus San Diego State, it's the last Mountain West game of the year, and San Diego State's going to be good again this year. There's a chance that game could actually mean something in terms of who gets to hang a regular season banner or not. It'll be the mm-hmm. last game in Reno. For the Martin Twins, it'll be the last game in Reno for Jordan Caroline. It could be the last game in Reno for for Lindsey Drew and several others yeah. on this roster. Maybe Jordan Brown as well, Trey Porter. Nevada's website says there's already less than 500 seats available. It's going to be a crazy, crazy game. If you're going to go to one game this year, I would maybe look at that last game against San Diego State. It's going to be an emotional night. One last storyline to add to that. Will it be mm-hmm. Muss? Will it be Muss's last game in Reno? I don't want to talk about this. <laughs> that's that's the tip over the Dave Chappelle tip over the glass of water and run away. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that is, that's a per, that's a perfect description <laughs> of it. Just, oh, just oh, and take off. <laughs> yeah, we we won't talk about that. All right, the season has so much hype for you. What does Nevada need to do to be successful for this season to be a success? Hmm. So I thought about this for quite a bit. I was thinking, and a lot of times I was thinking in, in regards to March, just for how much hype though, and everything, all these pieces going together, this, you know, the city back in it, the whole community, just all the, you know, you still see must, you know, trying to tell them, you know, don't pay attention. Obviously the rankings, don't pay attention to the news because you get, you get a lot. That's how a lot of teams just get lost in these things. But I'm, I'm going to go pretty bullish on it. I think they need to win the Mountain West a regular okay. season. Okay. Um, Tournament, you know, crazy things happen in tournaments. I'd be, you know, I would like them to win a tournament, but if they get, you know, even if they get to the championship game, I think that's fine. And then when it comes to regards of March, the reason the Martin Twins came back, reason Caroline's back, 
They all keep saying they're here to win a national title. So I'm, I'm going super bullish. I'm saying they need to at least get to the final four. Wow. Yeah. I'm going extremely hard because that's just because a lot of dominoes are going to fall. I think they're going to figure things out a lot. I think that going back to some of our concerns early in the episode, I do think they're going to figure it out. They just have way too much talent around. Muss is way too good of a coach. He'll figure something out. Um, the only thing is just going to be, you know, how well, I guess, does it all function as, is it going to be as powerful as people think? But yeah, they all came, they all came back for a reason. I'm going hard on it. They're going to the final four. Yeah. I, this team ultimately is going to be judged by what it does in the NCAA tournament, mm-hmm. assuming it gets there. You got, you got to get there first. And that's, yeah. that's not an easy task. Let's not just assume that's going to happen. Yeah. It's not, not a cakewalk. So if Nevada goes the final four, but it gets an at large the NCAA tournament because it loses in the, in the Mountain West tournament, no one's going to care. Mm-hmm. No one. The expectations th- this season, I've said it on several episodes and I'll talk, I talk about it again with, with Chris Murray coming up here. The expectations are ridiculous <laughs> for, for a, a mid major. Mm-hmm. They really are. And it's, it's funny to see there's some people going contrarian on it and some are saying, whoa, Nevada's overrated and Nevada should be lucky to go to the tournament. And you, you see a lot yeah. of that stuff. And I, I guess I can see where some of them are coming from. I think some of them are just trying to get retweets on Twitter. The, the reality mm-hmm. is winning in March is tough. Getting to March is tough. And it really just takes one guy to get hot on another team, one guy to roll an ankle, something funky to happen and poof. You know, there it goes. I mm-hmm. think th- there's a pretty good chance Nevada, or I think a strong case can be made that Nevada shouldn't have won that Texas game. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, you, you, have, you could, de- you could definitely make that argument. You, you have Jordan Caroline guarding Mo Bamba and somehow yeah. they win that game, which is ridiculous. And you definitely can make the case they sh- maybe shouldn't have won the Cincinnati game. Mm-hmm. So if Nevada doesn't w- beat Texas, I don't think the hype is as crazy as it is this year. I mean, if Nevada goes one done in the tournament, but the Martins come back, I think people, it's still a top 25 team. I don't know if they're number seven or whatever they are in the AP and, and the coaches. That said, this team is so much better positioned this year from a talent perspective, from a depth perspective, flexibility with the roster and rotations they can use. A better position in terms of schedule, some good non-conference games that they can win, so maybe get a better seed in the tournament, get a, get a better draw. Getting to the second weekend again would be great. You know, get that second weekend chance to play in the Sweet 16, but that's not the goal for this team. At lot, at least not for the core, for Moss yeah. and, and for the Martins, the, the Martin Twins, and for Jordan Carolina. It's not the goal. So I I don't want to say Final Four or bust because that's just it's so hard to win games in March. It, mm-hmm. it really is. But considering the team went to the Sweet 16, considering what the standard of this team is holding itself to, at least those core group of guys, I'll say Elite 8, but I feel ridiculous saying that. Because Nevada, <laughs> Nevada, Nevada won nine games four years ago. <laughs> and now we're saying it has to go to Elite 8 to have a successful season. Um, but that's just where we are with Nevada basketball, and it's the testament to what, what Moss has built here, which is – crazy Mm -hmm. all right let's talk we talk season preview stuff here let's dig into byu all right (laughs) eight o'clock first one of the year eight o'clock tip late on on cbs sports you got a ticket no not yet i'll get one though actually november yeah okay i'll still be in town then yeah 
I'll get a ticket. You, you got to figure that out. All right. Three things to know about the Cougs. I'm going to start this one. I We've mentioned it a couple times already on this episode. But for those who are new to college hoops, BYU is one of the more consistent programs in all of college basketball. They've won 20 or more games in 13 straight seasons. They've been to three straight NITs. Their head coach, Dave Rose, no stranger to going on the road and knocking off ranked teams. They play Gonzaga every year. They play St. Mary's every year. Two years ago, they went to Spokane and beat Gonzaga when Gonzaga was the number one team in the country. Three years ago, they went to Spokane and beat off Gonzaga as the 21 team in the country. And four years ago, they went to Spokane and beat Gonzaga as the number three team in the country. So they've they've kind of had Mark Few's number up in Spokane. But this BYU team, they're legit. And this could ultimately end up being the best team that comes to Lala this year. And Nevada gets them right out of the chute. Yeah, so I got on them is that they're – if you look at the roster, they're pretty experienced. So um, – the team they're going to have this year, they got 11 letter winners. They got six players who have had significant starting experience over the last year or two. Um, and then on the roster, they also got three players who have earned first or second team all um, WCC honors. Uh, I'm going to butcher this guy's name. Yo, which is Yoli Childs. Yoli Childs. Yoli Childs. He was the first team in 2008. TJ Haas, first team in 2017. And Nick Emery, second team in 2016. So going back to it, Lawler's a tough environment to play in, but this team has played in some of those, you know, tougher environments like yep. you've mentioned. So this isn't like, you know, going back on it. This BYU team's going to be legit and they're going to be ready for the challenge. Yeah. You mentioned Yoli Child. That's where I wanted to go next. He is a dude. He, he is going to be the heartbeat of this BYU team that this year. Elijah Bryant was their stud last year. He graduated, but Yoli Childs, as you mentioned, preseason all West Coast conference. I did see though. <laughs> West Coast Conference had 10 preseason all-conference guys, which I think is ridiculous. <laughs> why why yeah. don't you have five? This is like mm-hmm. high school stuff. I'm not going down that road. But he yeah, was, yeah, exactly. Every, everybody gets e- trophy. Everybody's all-league in high school. But he was 18-9 and nine last year, 6'8", 225. So a- as he goes, BYU goes this year. Um, he, he is the guy that Nevada is going to have to focus on defensively on Tuesday night. Do you have another one? Yeah, my last one. It's just... BYU doing it in BYU fashion. They got guys coming back from their missions. Yeah. <laughs> so when I was reading this, I thought it was, I thought it was just pretty funny. But they added four players to the roster. They were all four-star recruits coming out of high school. You got Gavin Baxter, Connor Harding, Colby Lee. Um, those were all freshmen who were four-star recruits, and then they went on their missions and then came back. One of them, Lee, he redshirted a season last year. But um, yeah, then the other guy, they had another recruit, and he went on a mission, and then went to Gonzaga and ended up transferring to BYU. But <laughs> I when I just read, I just thought it was funny because I was reading the season preview and that was one of the things like guys coming back from their missions. We got them. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Vintage BYU there. Um, one of the things I was able to find on, on BYU is BYU was the worst defensive rebounding team in the West coast conference last year. However, they were the best offensive rebounding team in the West coast conference last year. We mentioned Yoli Childs. He had 70 offensive rebounds last year for the Cougs. No one else had more than 36. So they really go after the offensive glass. And we'll get into this here, but that's going to be something to look at on, on Tuesday night is can Nevada rebound the basketball? Because we know that stops, at least in exhibitions, have been hard to come by. Um, 
You also mentioned Nick Emery. He was an all-conference guy. He's not going to play on Tuesday night. He's had a bumpy road. I mean, I, I don't want to pile on here, but basically he – I mean, there was, depending on where, where you read and, and what stories you hear from. And I, I started looking at some of the comments section and it got dark. So I, I gave yeah. up, but <laughs> he essentially, it sounds like a lot of this was, was self-inflicted. He went through a divorce. He got married oh. and divorced already. Sounded like he got hounded by some private investigator. He had to leave the team last year. He had thoughts of, of suicide and got, re- I mean, really, really dark. For Nick Emery, and he he's a stud. He really he, as a freshman, he averaged 16 points per game a couple years ago. And then cherry on top, the NCAA ruled that he received improper benefits from a booster last year. So he's actually serving a nine-game suspension to start oh. the season. So Nevada will not see Nick Emery on Tuesday night, but he is on the roster. So something worth pointing out there. Speaking of the roster, who'd you find? Who's your guy? Okay. Who, who's your guy in the Cougs? So I'm curious. I I don't think you'll do you'll take my guy just because there's a there's a chance a, we end up doing this this year because there's er, during basketball season because only yeah, 14 or 15 guys. guys. Yeah. All right. So I went two A GSHL. <laughs> I knew you were gonna do that, so I so I didn't pick him. Okay. There you go. Yep. So there's a guy for everyone listening. He went to one of our rival high schools. <laughs> It, where we grew up, went to high school. Name's Evan Troy. He's a junior guard. Played 18 minutes last season after getting bumped up from the practice squad. Um, but other than that, the only thing I got to finish on is go Beavs. Yeah, he went to Mark Morris, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. He went to Mark Morris. So, <laughs> yeah, don't. Uh, I'll leave it at that. That's what I got to say about Mark Morris. What do you got? So the guy I picked, you you already said his name is forward Colby Lee. So he's listed as a freshman. Must be a red, red shirt, right? You say red shirt last year, right? Mm-hmm. He's 6'9", 240. But if that dude is a freshman, I'm 60 years old. Like, that dude, if he were to go buy a beer, he goes to BYU, so it's an unlikely scenario. But if he went to go buy a beer, no one would ever card him. No one. No. He, he looks like he's 38 years old. I'm, I'm not even kidding. I don't mean that in like a mean way, but he legitimately looks 38. Are you looking at his picture right now? <laughs> no. I'm just trying to... Picture that I'm, I'm actually picturing this huge dude walking down on the streets on his mission with it. 6'9", 240, retro freshman. That's, that's a massive human. Absolute beast. Absolute beast. All right. Keys to victory on Tuesday night. What do you got? Uh, plain and simple. Make the three ball. They're going to have to get on it quick. They're going to have to learn quick to that, you know, now these games are going to start mattering. So, you know, you can miss, you know, 70% or whatever, 75% of their shot, three balls in the exhibition games, but now it matters. Now they got to figure it out quick. Um, so that's, that's my first one. For me, it's, I'm, I'm looking at the seniors on Tuesday night. We, there's still lots to figure out for this team. I don't want to beat a dead horse, but there's a lot to determine in terms of roles and minutes and starting rotations and all, all that. So, Caleb and Cody Martin, Jordan Caroline. I'm, I'm looking to them against a really good BYU team. Again, this is a legit BYU team. And I wouldn't be surprised if BYU travels kind of well in this game, if they have some mm-hmm. sort of presence in Lawler, because Provo's not that far away. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm looking at those three to really carry the load uh, on Tuesday night as this team figures things out, as there's going to be some pressure on some new guys. I'm sure they, they feel it already. I'm sure Mus is 
made them aware. I mean, they certainly yeah. know how poorly they played. But oh, pr- pressure already. You're playing for a top 10 team in the country. You took a year off. That's a lot to ask of someone. So so those three, I think, really need to play well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the other one is um, you got to get Caroline in a rhythm because that was when I was at the UW game. A couple times when they were struggling shooting from the outside and whatnot, they put Caroline down to five and just kind of did that power and had him, you know, him just pretty much outman, you know, whoever yeah. was trying to whoever was trying to defend him. So you got to make sure that that weapon's still there. So even if going back to the first point, if they're starting to hit the three two, got to make sure that tool's still there because that was obviously you know didn't have as many guys last year, but that was a huge pivotal point of the offense is how good and efficient he was. So, um. Yeah, I was just going to say. That, that, that's something that, uh, I don't know that we'll see a lot because Jordan Caroline's moving outside now because you have big guys. You don't, you don't have to have someone who's six, seven play the, play the five. So that's yeah. something to watch this year is how does Jordan, how can, how does well, he be, guard on the perimeter? Yeah, I guess that'll be true. Yeah. Cause I know a couple of times during Washington, they had him playing down low. So he was, you know, inside, but yeah, like you said, it'll, it'll be interesting. Cause yeah, I mean, he's going to be the majority of the time of the offense. He's going to be in a different spot too. So yeah. yeah. One of mine was this, was the same in terms of shooting. Nevada was ten for forty eight from three in the two exhibitions. That's just not going to work against a, a good BYU team. So this is going to be our first chance to see who can fill the void left by left by House Cook and Kendall Stevens by, by them leaving. Is it Corey Henson? Is it Jazz Johnson? Is it Nizue Zuzawa? Is it someone else? But shooting twenty one percent on twenty five attempts, which is what the team averaged in the first two exhibitions, is not going to beat BYU on Tuesday night. So they need to, need to be able to hit some shots from deep. Do you have another one? No, nope, I said those two. My, my last one, it's not sexy. You could say it for every single basketball game, but it's a rebound. I mentioned how poorly BYU, or how poor BYU was defensively last year grabbing rebounds, but I also mentioned how good they were grabbing offensive rebounds. Defense is not going to be a strength of this team this year, at least not early. You cannot, when you do get stops, when you do get misses, you can't give up second looks. You gotta take advantage of those misses. Gotta limit those BYU possessions. So, Jordan Brown, Trey Porter, Jordan Caroline, wanna be able to see them be menaces on the glass. Predictions, finally. First one, I, I, first one of the year. I wanna hear you take this, take this first. What, you think I've been glass half empty this whole time? No, 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 no. I'm saying more because you, you obviously were, uh, you know, at a lot of the games, had a okay. lot, not last year, but I think I'm thinking of like with the score, I was trying to do, look at last year average scoring and, you know, points oh, okay. against. So I'll be curious as to what you got. So I think Nevada's going to be in a lot of high scoring games this year. That's just the style of basketball they want to play. Must wants to play up and down, get the shots up quick. Nevada's going to score a lot of points. Defense, not a strength, at least not yet. I think it's going to be a close game. But I think I also think it's going to be going absolutely bonkers in Lawler, absolutely oh, yeah. bonkers. The energy. I wish I could go to that game on Tuesday. It's going to be so fun. I got Nevada winning a close one, eighty-three, <laughs> eighty. All right, that's not bad. We're uh, pretty close though. I went. Uh, I got Nevada winning it, eighty-two to seventy-eight. Mm. Really so, close. Yeah. All right, I'm pretty I'm pretty pleased with my prediction now. Attendance won't be as fun to talk about this year because yeah. I think we have pretty much every game. Well, not mm. every game, but a lot of the games will have a pretty good idea what the attendance is going to be or at least a really close figure. So did yeah. you did you guess? Did you put a number down for attendance? 
I didn't even guess. I just we're gonna be close to full. It's not. I don't hey, think it'll hey, sell. Here's out. a question: What is Lawler's capacity? Eleven thousand three hundred and something. Eleven thousand five hundred thirty-six. Okay. We gotta so know. We'll, we gotta know that after our blunder was that a month ago. Okay. <laughs> oh, I'm re- I'm ready now. All right. So if capacity is eleven thousand five hundred thirty-six, Nevada's website says there's less than five hundred seats available. I'll go with it is a Tuesday night. It's late. I'll go eleven thousand three hundred. So I'll go just shy oh. of a sellout. Okay. It's not a bad guess. Okay, we spent a lot of time there talking about a basketball, deservedly so. We're gonna keep it going here. Had a really fun conversation with Chris Murray. If you're listening and you don't know who Chris Murray is, that I find that strange. <laughs> Chris covered uh, Nevada for many, many years for their Gazette Journal, was the beat writer and columnist for them. But in the fall, he moved over to Nevada Sportsnet, a huge, huge move, move for him and really for sports media in Reno. So I had a really fun chat with Chris last night about, yes, Nevada basketball. We talked a lot of Nevada football as well. And then, you know, we had to talk about his Dodgers after uh, woof, two years in a row. That's a bummer. But... And as I told him, it could be worse. He could be a Mariners fan. <laughs> so, so here's our conversation with Chris. Okay, Chris, pumped to have you on. We'll, we'll get to Nevada stuff. It's not like there's any Nevada stuff going on right now, though. <laughs> um, but, but a big move this fall for you. I'm um, going from the RGJ to Nevada Sportsnet. So let me ask you this. How much are you missing riding on deadline? Yeah, I mean, actually, one of the perks of the RGJ the last couple of years is our deadline was so early that we couldn't even really get anything in the paper anyways. I believe the <laughs> current deadline is like 5 p.m. Uh, to get oh. stuff into print. So when most oh, wow. games start at 7.30, not a big deal. But um, I actually kind of like deadline because it forces you to work a little bit quicker, whereas without a <laughs> deadline, you can kind of lollygag and yep. you know chat with people and like you're not as focused. So there are pros and cons to both, but definitely a lot less stress uh, without a deadline. For anyone who knows anything about the current state of media or where media is going, that was a no-brainer for you, I feel like. But that you were at the RGJ for a long time. That couldn't have been an easy decision for you. No, it wasn't at all. I mean, I started there when I was 19 years old and then spent 16 years there. So almost, you know, half my life and certainly the majority of my adult life. Um, so to say goodbye to that place was difficult. Uh, you know, when we did the little going away party, I kind of choked up and started to tear up a little bit uh, just because of how many memories and how much I learned there. But on the other side, I mean, it was a, a great opportunity. And, uh, you know, they came out and recruited me. I didn't even know that they were putting that thing together. And, you know, a little bit more than a month on the job now, uh, I feel very fortunate because I think it's, you know, they're building something. Yeah. Uh, we're building something. Whereas at the RGJ, you kind of felt like you were just, you know, hanging on for as long as possible. So right. it's nice to be part of, you know, something that's a little bit more innovative and, uh, you know, we, we, I think we've done some pretty cool things, you know, for viewers. I mean, to be able to, you know, live live show the, um, you know, Nevada Pro Day and the Nevada Silver and Blue Scrimmage and they get the rights to the Nevada Hawaii football game and, you know, give people stuff uh, that they wouldn't have seen otherwise. And then, you know, to have as many good guests as we've had on our, our daily TV and radio show has been awesome, too, the, to have them come down to the studio and uh, you know, just from my perspective as well, just having a, a website that is free to readers so they don't have to, you know, pay to see the content that I'm producing, mm-hmm. um, is nice as well. I understand 
you know, why newspapers are, are putting up paywalls and forcing people to pay because, you know, they have to make end, ends meet and, and ultimately that trickles down to, you know, us and our salaries. But uh, to be able to provide something where that that isn't the case, uh, you know, has been has been really cool. You were doing the at the RGJ, you were doing the Facebook show once a week. Now you're doing a little yeah. bit more on camera work. How's that adjustment gone? Oh, it's been good. Like uh, it's it's uh, you know something I've been very comfortable with, which is pretty crazy because you know all the way through high school and even in college, I didn't you know talk very much and I wasn't comfortable talking in front of people. But uh, you know you you force yourself to do interviews uh, and you know cultivate sources and stuff, and you end up talking to a lot of people, and you have to feel comfortable you know doing that and, and being open with people. So. It's been a pretty natural transition and it's nice to, you know, be able to kind of share more insight, uh, on TV as well as, you know, in, in print. So, um, you know, I'm usually on the show maybe three, four days a week. Um, and, uh, you know, we've had some uh, other great people, obviously Brian Samudio and Alex Margulies are kind of the head honchos there as far as the, the NSN show. Sure. And then we have, uh, you know, Ju- Julian Delgadio and Shannon Kelly who also contribute. So, you know, to have five different, you know, faces and voices on the show has been, has been pretty, pretty neat to, to see. And, uh, you know, it's a lot of fun. Also, also getting a little bit of TV time as well. They got you wearing makeup yet? No, actually, uh, yeah, I, I get a lot of questions about that. Like, no, they don't, they don't provide you makeup, so I guess you could provide your own, but I'm usually running in from practice, because practice ends right around like 10.45 and we start taping around 11, that sure. I don't have time to, to beautif- beautify myself, and I don't know that it would do much good even if I did try to do that. <laughs> Alright, you mentioned getting a lot of questions about that. Basketball season starts on Tuesday. A lot we can talk about. What are you most tired of talking about, or what are the questions you're most tired of answering? So we can get those out of the way with first. Uh, no, I mean, I, I, there have been some pretty big questions to to answer for Nevada so far. You know, after these first two exhibition games, I mean, the yeah. two big questions were, you know, how is Nevada going to do defensively, and how are they going to shoot after losing, you know, Kendall Stevens and and Hallis Cook, who combined to hit almost 200 three pointers last year, and. You know, both of those have not been answered in the affirmative so far this this uh, preseason. So, uh, you know, I wouldn't panic on the team, but you could certainly see why a lot of these coaches like to do kind of private behind closed door scrimmages. So the the early season awards aren't kind of exposed to all to see. So they start freaking out. So right. I think it's pretty normal stuff, but there are certainly, you know, some question marks. And, and when you have a team that's rated in the top 10 in the preseason, uh, you know, maybe fans expect you to be perfect right out of the gates. But, you know, as it feels like a lot of people returned from last year, but it's really only three guys in the, yeah. in the Martin Twins and Jordan Caroline. So there are a lot of new new pieces to incorporate. They're trying to play two big guys, which is something they've never done under Musselman. So, um, you know, there's going to be an adjustment period. And, uh, you know, playing BYU out of the gates, a team that's won at least 20 games, 13 straight seasons, if you're not coming out playing well in your season opener, you're, you're going to get, you know, blasted and you're going to yeah. lose. I mean, that's that's the uh, challenge with, with playing such a good team right out of the gates. But I do think that, you know, game against Washington, you know, maybe helps prepare them a little bit more because they've seen what a really good team in person looks like. Mm-hmm. We've seen Muss use some hyperbole in the preseason <laughs> before. He did it again after the UW game. Do you feel that, that it's different this year or is it similar? I mean, how do you feel like he's handled this sluggish first two games? Yeah, I mean, anytime they lose a game, uh, he kind of freaks out and has a meltdown. Um, and I, I say that in like the nicest way possible. I mean, he's, you know, been very kind and open with me, but whenever he loses, I kind of just sit there and chuckle because, you know, he makes it sound like it's the end of the world and Nevada's never going to win another game. And, you know, he said they were the most overrated team in the country after they won a game last, uh, last preseason, you know, after they lost at home to UNLV, he said they'd be lucky to get a bye in the Mountain West tournament, even though they won the conference by a couple games. So, 
Uh, that's just natural for him. He's such a competitor that I think when they lose, he kind of goes off the rails to a, a small degree. But I also think, to some degree, it's, he's probably also playing some mind games with his players through the media to yep. try and get across the message that, you know, you, you guys aren't really all that good. Like, we got a long way to go. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's something that, you know, is good fodder to write about and he gives you good quotes, obviously. But I mean, he said earlier this season, after, during halftime of the silver and blue scrimmage that the team has enough talent to win the national championship. So right. he clearly believes in this group of players and what they could, you know, capably, uh, you know, do this season. One of the things he said after the, I don't know if it was the UW game, but he, he mentioned zone defense. Do you think there's any possibility of that happening this year? Yeah, I mean, I think there is. If you want to play wow. two bigs, they're not going to be able to switch quite as much as they have in the past because, you know, you don't want a Jordan Brown on a point guard or a Trey Porter out there on the wing, you know, kind of right. defending the perimeter. So, um, you know, he's kind of talked a lot in the past about how his dad was kind of a two, three zone guru, one of the best to ever do the zone. So, you know, he said that he, he basically got all of these, you know, uh, tapes from his sister about his dad's zone defense. He's been pouring over those. He did play some zone defense against San Francisco State. So, you know, while I don't think that's his preferred method, I think he's kind of shown in the past that he doesn't mind changing his system and his scheme to suit his players. And if, uh, if, if playing a zone is best for his players, uh, you know, against certain matchups against teams that don't shoot the three ball very well, uh, I don't think he would be opposed to doing it, especially if he's, you know, facing a team with, you know, quick guards who are constantly breaking down the first line of defense and stuff like that. And they can't stay in front of them. You know, you just switch into a zone and, kind of neutralize that to some degree. Yeah. So uh, I, I don't think he wants to play zone, but I think he's open to it if it's going to help them win games. The zone would be something new, as is the depth for Nevada this year. Nine guys he's been shuffling in and out through these first couple exhibitions. Would you be surprised if nine guys are still playing come Mountain West tournament time, or do you expect him to, to continue to use the bench? Yeah, I mean, he's kind of talked about his circle of trust. He's kind of talked about his circle of trust. Um, hold on one second. Oh, thanks. He's, he's kind of, sorry about that. Uh, Podcast, I'll, maybe we'll leave it in there. It's more, it's more fun that way. Nah, that's all right. Neighbor was saying hello, uh, cooking some, <laughs> some steaks out here on the grill. Um, but yeah, it's kind of talking about a circle of trust. And right now there are only four guys in it, the Martin twins, Jordan Caroline and Trey Porter. So, um, you know, is he going to have a circle of trust in nine people when the season's on the line and they're playing the biggest games of the year in March? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, the, it, the history indicates no. Um, but there are certainly nine capable players, 10 if Lindsey Drew comes back, who have proven that they can play well at the college level. So, uh, you know, it's going to be difficult, I think, for, uh, you know, some of these transfers we set out last year to get 20, 25 minutes per game. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe in some of the bigger blowouts, they, they go and insert them. But yeah, I think you're probably looking at eight guys. So maybe one of them sitting out unless Lindsey comes back and then two of them are sitting out. But, uh, you know, I don't think he's going to go super deep because I think he still wants to give the Martin Twins and Jordan Caroline 30, you know, 33, 34, 35 minutes a game, which doesn't leave a lot of minutes for everybody else. Yeah. Uh, so the depth is new this year. And because he's been so shallow on the bench the last few years, his two first half fouls and sit at least the second half rule has gotten a lot of. I've written a lot about it, as have you yeah. on Twitter. Would you be surprised to see him maybe get away from that this year, considering the depth he has? Oh, he definitely could. I, th I think he'll stick with it. I think, it, you know, that's an opportunity to get some of these other guys some playing time. If somebody comes out and, and draws a couple of early fouls, uh, you know, to maybe sit one of the Martin twins and throw out one of those reserve guards. So, uh, you know, I think he wants his best players for the end of the game, and he's been pretty tried and true with that. So, 
you know, I, I think he'll stick with that. And I think he'll stick with not really taking a lot of timeouts. I mean, I think he took like maybe four or five timeouts last season, uh, <laughs> in the entire season, which, you know, was the fewest among, uh, NCAA teams. I think yeah. he really trusts his guys to play through bad spurts. And, um, you know, he thinks it's a tactical advantage not to call timeouts to set up last second plays because the defense can't get set up. So, right. you know, I, I don't think he changes those things all too much. Okay. You, you mentioned Lindsey Drew. W- would you be surprised one way or another? With what he does ultimately this season? Uh, yeah, I mean, I have the feeling like he's going to redshirt. Um, he, you know, when I was talking to him at media day, he was saying that he's going to do the thing that's best for his career. And I think it's best for his career to sit out this season, yeah. uh, you know, to come in next year as a, you know, the full st- full-time point guard, getting 30 minutes a game, you know, probably taking up to 10 shots a game. Uh, you know, really be able to have the, his, you know, the ball in his hands and, and to be 100% to be able to showcase himself. So, uh, you know, maybe if things are not going well, uh, you know, Coach Musselman kind of pushes him into, Hey, would you, would you mind coming back this year if they right. really need, a, uh, you know, some help and some unselfish play in the backcourt? Um, but I, I do think it makes the most sense for him to sit out. I mean, I think even the best case scenario is he probably comes back in, you know, maybe January. And at that point, you're only going to have half a season and probably the first, couple of weeks you're, you're trying to figure out you know how to play basketball again after taking a year off so mm-hmm. I, I i think it makes sense for him to redshirt i think nevada would prefer that he redshirts but ultimately coach musselman has said and and stood firm with it that it's going to be Lindsay's call on that yeah so nevada's coming off a sweet 16 appearance appearance <laughs> their top 10 preseason in every poll you could possibly look at in your eyes what do you think nevada has to do to be quote unquote successful this year because the bar is set so high it's almost impossible to satisfy that for sure i mean i think they have to do better than last season i think that's the minimum expectation is they you they get past the sweet 16 get to the first elite eight in school history the first mountain west school to get to an elite eight um you know i i it's it's kind of unfair that that's the the measure of success but um you know this team is shooting for the final four for sure and i mean basically to a man everybody said that their expectation is to win a national championship which is you know crazy for a mid-major school to say but they're also a team in the top 10 actually went went back and coded like the last 10 seasons of preseason top 10s and went you know tracked how far each of those teams got uh in the ncaa tournament and i think only six teams didn't make the NCAA tournament, but seven of those top 10 teams uh, won the NCAA tournament. So there's a higher likelihood historically that a top 10 team wins the NCAA tournament All than right. doesn't even make it into the tournament. So, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, winning the Mountain West, at least getting to the Sweet 16, that's a successful season. Uh, if, it, if they truly want to say, you know, they accomplished what they wanted to accomplish, I think they have to at least get to the Elite Eight. Um, you know, with the final four mix in there. And I think it's different for different guys. I mean, for the Martin Twins and Jordan Caroline, getting to the Sweet 16 will not be considered a success because they've already done that. Right. But a lot of these transfers you set out last year, I mean, your Jazz Johnsons, your Trey Porters, your Corey Hensons, Nisre Zuzwa, those guys have never even played in the NCAA tournament. So I think for them, just getting to the NCAA tournament, they they would love that because they haven't experienced that. Um, you know, but for the more veteran guys, I think the goals are a little bit more lofty. Mm-hmm. Can you wrap your mind around the fact we're talking about Final Four Elite Eight for Nevada basketball? <laughs> yeah, I mean, especially if you consider that when when Coach Musselman you know took over, they had just won nine games, only seven against Division One opponents the year prior. So, uh, you know, the fact that Justin, you know, basically his fourth year, he's been able to jack it up from winning seven games against Division One opponents to expecting to win an NCAA tournament is pretty crazy. I mean, everything. Uh, you know, they, he's obviously a great coach and, and he knows his stuff really well, but they, they've also gotten a lot of breaks. I mean, breaks from, 
you know, uh, Cameron Oliver and Lindsey Drew being available so late in the period, uh, you know, breaks and being able to get the Martin twins to come as a package pair because they had two scholarships available, mm-hmm. uh, you know, breaks as far as uh, Jordan Brown kind of falling through the cracks as far as McDonald's All-Americans go and to be able to land at Nevada. I mean, obviously, they put a ton of work in with that kid. They, they've known him since his, you know, eighth grade year and have, you know, the first one to offer him. So a lot of hard work to go with the luck has kind of put him in this situation. And now they need to go out there and capitalize, obviously. Um, you know, they're in a great position, but unless they go out in the court and, and do everything that's kind of expected of them, then it's going to be looked at as a, you know, kind of, you know, cautionary tale of, yeah. of what might have been. So I know Coach Musselman has hammered home on that quite a bit that, you know, a lot of teams have been in this position before and they haven't been able to capitalize and we don't want to be one of those teams. Yeah. All right. Before we switch gears to football real quick, what are you expecting against BYU on Tuesday? Because like you mentioned, that's a really good BYU team. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's going to be a tough game if they defend like they have in these first two exhibition games. I mean, they just haven't defended well, and they haven't hit enough threes. I mean, they were 5 of 27 from three against San Francisco State. If you're shooting that percentage, then a very average team can beat you. If you're giving up layups and wide-open three-pointers, a very average team can beat you. BYU has a lot of experience, like they usually do. Um, they've got some very good players, some all-conference caliber players. So uh, I, I expect Nevada to win. I think that... Uh, you know, the, the way they've approached practice since that Washington loss has been good, but they've also, you know, shown a lot of chinks in the armor that, uh, you know, if they come out and they play a C game, which is what they've done the first two times out, BYU is more than capable of winning on the road. I mean, they're not going to be scared of going into Nevada. I mean, this right. is a, a team that goes into Gonzaga and St. Mary's and, you know, some pretty loud places. So, uh, I, I think Nevada will win the game, but I think it's going to be a very difficult test and, and it'll be interesting to see how they come out. If they don't get off to a great start, how are they going to respond? Obviously, this was not an issue for the team last year. You know, huge rallies against Texas and Cincinnati and, you know, a ton of fight. But you didn't really see that against Washington. And maybe they learned the lesson there that, yeah. you know, you got to play for 40 minutes and, and things will start falling your way. Yeah. Well, excited for basketball season to start finally after all this hype. All right. Football storyline for me has been the emergence of the defense, what Jeff Castile is gonna, has been able to do over there. What, what have you been able to make of, of Nevada's defense this year? Yeah, I mean, it has been the story of the defense. The offense has been, to my estimation, pretty average, uh, but the defense has been great. I mean, I was actually talking with Coach Alt out at practice today, and I was, you know, joking that this this defense is better than his 2010 defense, and he wasn't having that at all. But <laughs> if you if you look at the advanced metrics, this this defense is actually rated higher than that 2010 defense, even though that 2010 defense had six NFL players on it. So, uh, you know, that first month of the season, they looked horrible, uh, you know, Pretty, pretty good against Portland State, but it was Portland State. And then they gave up 41 to Vanderbilt. Uh, you know, they gave up 34 to Oregon State, although they made some big, really big plays in that one. Uh, they gave up, you know, 69 to Toledo or 63, I think it was. Now, two of those are special teams touchdowns. But yeah. it was just the first month of the season. You're like, okay, this is the same thing that we've seen for the last seven, eight years at Nevada defensively. Uh, I think it was that, that Air Force game that really turned them around. I mean, they, you know, held Air Force to about 150 yards of rushing uh, held them to like 27 yards total in the first half. And I think they proved to themselves, like, you know, we have some pretty good players here. If we actually yeah. play to our potential and if we play confidently, we can do a lot of good things. And then, you know, to hold Fresno State to 21 points, which is 24 below their average. Uh, they held Boise State to 24 points. Uh, if you take away the pick six from Ty Ganji, um, you know, they've, they've, they've done very well against Hawaii, which is a run and shoot. And then they back that up with a very good game against San Diego State, which is two fullback, two tight ends kind of thing. Um, you know, so they've done it against different kinds of schemes and, uh, they are going out there and winning games. I mean, Air Force backed up 
Uh, you know, they have to get a stop to win the game. They get a stop. Uh, Oregon State, they have to get a stop to win the game. And now the, the kicker missed a field goal, but they got a stop. Mm-hmm. Uh, San Diego State, they have to get two stops to win the game in the last three minutes, and they get two stops. So they really, uh, you know, the seniors are playing great. I mean, you have Corey Rush, who unfortunately is out for the season, regular season too, with a broken foot bad. now. Yeah. Uh, you have Malik Reed, you have Asani Rufus, you have Damian Baber, you have Lucas Weber, all of these names that we've heard about with, you know, all this great potential, and they're finally living up to it, and they're all playing to their, their potential. And, uh, you know, they've, they've, they've done a great job so far, and, and everything is set up for them to win these last three games and, yeah. you know, to post eight, eight wins in the regular season, which, a hundred percent. Anybody on the team would have taken eight wins if you gave it to them, yes. you know, before that Portland State game. Yes, I have no idea what Jeff Castile's contract situation is. He feels <laughs> he's he feels sort of vital now. How long do you feel like he's going to be in Reno? Because he's got to be becoming attractive for a certain program. Yeah, so he's the highest paid assistant coach in Wolfpack football history. So you know, for for Nevada, he's compensated pretty well, but he's not you know compensated pretty well for a Power Five program. So. I'm sure that's a concern. I mean, he, he put together great defenses at West Virginia and then he went to Arizona and it, it didn't work out that well. Uh, you know, his second year was great and then his third year, Scooby Wright got hurt and, you know, things kind of turned sour and then he was, you know, dismissed by, you know, one of his good friends and Rich Rodriguez. Um, so took a year off and then came here and, you know, first season wasn't great. So you're thinking, okay, maybe has, you know, football kind of passed him by to a degree with this three, three, five stack is, yeah. you know, the offenses evolved to a point. Uh, where that's not as effective, but, uh, you can clearly see with how his, his team is playing this season that football has indeed not passed him by in any, in any measure. So I would not be shocked to see a power five school try and, you know, get, get interested in, and see if they can lure him out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's what happens when you have good coaches at Nevada. I mean, yep. you're going to lose them. I mean, you look at those, that 2010 team with Chris Alt, um, uh, you know, Jim Mastro is at an Oregon now. Uh, Ken Wilson is at Washington State. Uh, you know, Cam Norcross is at Vanderbilt. Like you, you, you lose them to the higher level. You just can't compensate yeah. them at the same level as, as power five schools. So, I mean, the key is just to replace them with good coaches as well. And, uh, you know, I think the entire defensive staff has done a good job, especially the back, the back two. I mean, David Lockwood came from UNLV to be the safeties coach and then had to switch over to cornerbacks like a month before the season because Chip Viney left to go to Oklahoma and uh, they elevated a quality control coach to coach the safeties, uh, Mike Chamorris, and, and he's done a terrific job. He's a very young coach. So he's probably earned himself a full-time spot on the uh, on the staff as well. Mm-hmm. So I think that, that whole staff has done great and the players are, are really playing hard for him. I think that's the biggest thing I notice is just the defensive players are playing exceptionally hard for each other and for the for the uh, for the staff who yeah. they play for. Yeah. What are, you, are you grilling right now? What does that sound? I am. I am. <laughs> What's for dinner? I've got, I've got two big steaks and I've got some <laughs> potatoes in the oven, so I'm, I'm trying to keep them from uh, getting too much flame. Uh, I think so far I'm doing it well. So here's here's part of my problem is my son threw a bunch of dog food into the bottom of my barbecue. Um, <laughs> So there's, there's some dog, nice savor food, to the meat now. Yeah. Yes, their dog food is very flammable, so it's hard to keep the sparks <laughs> from from going too high. But uh, I think I've got it under control, uh, and uh, it's it's actually a pretty nice afternoon. I mean, it was you know decently cold today, but it's probably in the the mid fifties, which for around uh, six o'clock uh, when we're taping this in in the afternoon, it's it's not too bad. I'm uh, having a good <laughs> afternoon of grilling. Yeah, I was like, is he a bunch of leaves in the backyard? What has he got going on right now? Okay, we got dinner going on. <laughs> Yeah. Very cool. Uh, one of the things I know you've been getting pestered about, and certainly as a talking point, is attendance at football games, and we all know all the excuses, TV, late start, long, long games. Do, do you sense any frustration from the staff, from the player, from the program as a whole? I mean, less than 15000 for the San Diego State game is a bummer. 
Yeah, that has to be disheartening. I asked Coach Norvell about that after the game, and he didn't really say anything too inflammatory. You know, the whole, uh, you know, we appreciate the fans who are out here. Hopefully, you know, they'll come out for senior day kind of thing. But I think, you know, behind closed doors, he has to be, you know, somewhat steamed that they're playing against San Diego State in, the, in a big game. They're coming off a big win against Hawaii. They're playing a lot better than they did last year. And, you know, I know the announced attendance was 14,500, but – you know, there were less than 10,000 people in that stadium. There were yeah. basically like three students plus the band as far as the student section was concerned. And I know everybody likes to say, you know, well, it's a late kickoff. I'm not going to go out there at 730 when it's cold out. And it was actually a very nice, uh, you know, Saturday afternoon. I say, well, I sit in a, a very nice and warm <laughs> press room. Um, but, you know, I went back today and I looked at, OK, what what is the you know last 10 years of games at Mackey Stadium? So it's 60 home games. Yeah. 31 have been played during the day. 29 have been played at night. Of the 31 during the day, nine have been played against UNLV, Boise State, or Power 5 schools, so kind of marquee games in the night. Only six of those have been played against those marquee teams. Yet the the uh, attendance at night games is about a 1,000 more than it is at day games. So I don't think that that excuse really holds water. Um, I think people say, well, if they played during the, the day, I would go. Well, they have played during the day about half the games, and less people go. So I don't... I don't think that is the answer. I think it's just convenient that the games are on TV. So would, would you rather spend, you know, an hour trying to find parking, two hours tailgating, four hours for a game, an hour getting back home, you know, dedicate basically, you know, seven or eight hours right. to going to a football game? Or would you rather just sit at home, free beer, uh, free food? You can click back if it's a bad game. You can click over to, you know, Alabama versus LSU or something like that. Yeah. I just think that the exposure that comes with television comes with the trade-off that, your average fan at home can just sit at home and watch it and not have to worry about, you know, going out to a game and and having that experience. Now that's also coupled with the fact that they've, you know, sold out season tickets for men's basketball two months early. So I think a lot of Wolfpack football fans are maybe shifting their money over to the basketball side and, you know, the Wolfpack sent out renewals for the two sports basically back to back in the same week. So probably a number of people had to make a choice and they, and they went with the basketball team, the top 10 team in the program uh, or in the nation rather than the, right. the football team that's rebuilding. Right. So Nevada's five and four, three and two, first time winning back-to-back games, I think since the final two of the 16 season, yeah. who would you put pin as your MVP for the season so far? If you had to pick a guy or a couple, might be a tough question. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I would go to the defensive side and I think I would pick Malik Reed, uh, both Malik Reed and Corey Rush have been equally, impressive this season uh, I think maybe Malik a little bit more impressive just because he's doing it at a new position at outside linebacker uh, and you know he's dropping into coverage about half the time but I think yeah. both of those guys have been outstanding uh, and I think you look over at the offensive side of the ball and obviously Ty Ganji maybe he's not having the statistical year everybody thought but all you have to do is look at the Fresno State game to understand how important he is to that offense I mean mm-hmm. they score three points I think that was the first time since 1983 that they hadn't scored a, a touchdown in a home game Woof. um so, I mean, yeah, you're, you're basically going back 35 years at that point. So he's exceptionally important. I think, you know, Toa Tawa has been super important as a true freshman to step in there and be, uh, you know, as good as he's been as a rookie. So there, there are a number, number of people you can point out, but I think, you know, you look at those defensive leaders in, in Corey Rush and Malik Reed, and then, you know, you, you add in the safeties of Asani Rufus and Damian Baber. And those, those are the four guys who I think yeah. are really leading this program to where they are right now. Have you been surprised about how good Malik Reed has been at the linebacker position? Because that's a whole new thing now, having to work in space. He's been pretty effective. He has. And I think Nevada's done a good job of also getting him into pass rushing situations and letting him do what he does well. It's not like they've stuck him at linebacker 100% of the time and said, you know, go back into coverage. Like, they understand he's a good pass rusher, and they've probably let him – 
you know, play on the line about 50% of the time. And I think it's been really beneficial for him because you see so many people come through this program who play defensive end, but are really linebackers at the next level. Dante Moak and I, uh, Ian Seau and Lenny Jones and Brock Hecking. And then they go to the NFL as undrafted free agents and they have to learn a new position. And it, you know, you can't learn a brand new position at the NFL level and like a training camp and be good at it. So yeah. for Malik to have a, a year under his belt at the position, I think that gives him a lot better shot when he does go to the NFL. Cause I mean, at very least, he's going to be an undrafted free agent. I wouldn't be surprised to see him picked up, you know, at some point late. Uh, you know, in the, maybe the fifth, sixth, seventh round. And, and at very minimum, I think he can be an impact player on special teams because of his athleticism and his speed. Um, but I, I do think he has a special skill in getting to the to the quarterback. And, you know, hopefully he does get that next chance. I mean, his teammates just absolutely marvel about how much of a work ethic he is and, uh, you know, how, how hard of a worker he is. And, you know, he'll be there, you know, two hours after everybody else working. So wow. if you see somebody put that amount of work in, you want to see them rewarded. And I think he's having the kind of senior season, you know, required not only from a individual standpoint, but the team defensive standpoint where, you know, scouts can say, you know, this is a guy we need to be looking at. And there have been a lot, a lot more scouts out there this season as opposed to last year, which is kind of weird because, you know, they had a, a second round draft pick in Austin Corbett last season. But, you know, this year they don't really have anybody who will 100 percent be drafted. Right. Uh, you, know, you know, they've got some maybe undrafted free agent kind of guys. But I think it's good that there's been so many scouts out there at practice taking a look at, at him and, and his teammates. Just collectively, so I mentioned about his five and four, three and two. A lot of people ex- maybe even expecting to win the final three. It'd be a five game winning streak to close the season, which is unheard of at Nevada. Yeah. For you, how far ahead of expectations is this program in year two? Did you maybe see this coming? I guess how do you evaluate Jared Bell in the second year? No, I'm no. There, I mean, I had him going six and six, so they're better than one. I had expected to this point because they really should win those last three games. Uh, they have the third easiest remaining schedule in the nation, uh, according to ESPN's uh, football power index. So, you know, I think anything short of eight wins at this point would be a disappointment. Um, and I, I just think they've been, you know, better in the, the coin toss games. I mean, uh, the game against Air Force, they easily could have lost. The game against Oregon State, they easily could have lost. They yep. easily could have lost against San Diego State. I mean, they were outgained by 170 yards and had 10 less first downs. Uh, you know, they're one in one, they were 0 and 3 in games decided by four points or less last season, and now they're 3 and 1 in such games this year. And that's been the difference. I mean, they easily last year could have won five or six games if they won those close games. And then easily this year, they could be at two or three wins. So, I mean, it comes down to, uh, you know, those making the plays that yeah. need to be made in the fourth quarter, and they've been better at doing that. And maybe there's, you know, a little fortune with a, a field goal kicker at Oregon State missing, you know, a pretty routine field goal, but, uh, you know, if you play hard, you, you give yourself a chance at the end. Uh, you know, maybe you get some luck. Maybe you make some big plays and get some breaks. And, you know, they've been able to do that. So maybe they were more like a four or five win team last year. And this year, they're more or less like a six or seven win team. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, like I said earlier, if you give them eight wins at the beginning of the season, they'll certainly take that. But uh, on the other hand, it kind of ramps up the expectations for next year. Okay. You went from three wins to maybe eight or nine this year. The expectation is going to be, Okay, you have to take another step forward, get to nine or ten wins, win a West Division title in the Mountain West. So Schedule's I think it's tough does. next year, though, right? It is. I mean, you're looking at Purdue, which has been pretty good this year. I mean, they beat Ohio State. You're looking at Oregon. Uh, you're looking at road games at Fresno and San Diego, and then you have Utah State, which has played great coming back onto the schedule. Um, so I mean, it's it's not like a a killer killer schedule, but 
there, there are, I would say it's a little bit more difficult than this season. And certainly the home road in the Mountain West right. is uh, a little bit more difficult. So, um, you know, I, I do think it ramps up expectations. And, you know, we mentioned those four or five seniors on defense who will obviously be gone next year. Taganji will be gone. The center, Sean Kreps, will be gone. So there are some question marks heading in the next season, but I think they firmly put themselves in the position where the floor now is making a bowl game and the ceiling yeah. is, you know, winning a, a conference championship, which is kind of where they were with the Chris Alt years, where like getting to a bowl wasn't even that important. I remember in like 2012 asking them about, hey, you guys made a bowl. And they're like, this is the eighth year we've done it in a row. It's not a big deal. <laughs> but now it's being trumpeted as this big achievement. So, uh, you know, I think that's a good place when a bowl is kind of, you know, expected and is going to yeah. happen. It's not you know, you know, the biggest thing in the world when you win six games. Yeah. All right. By the time most people listen to this, Chris, Halloween will have come and gone. You're <laughs> cooking dinner right now. What, what are Halloween plans in the Murray house? Uh, we're going to just go around the neighborhood. I think maybe the old Southwest is usually where we go. We have a brother and sister over there and uh, they usually do it up real nice over in the old Southwest of Reno. But my, my son is, you know, they've already gone trick or treating, I think four times at my <laughs> son's school at my daughter's school <laughs> at the uh, Red Hawk golf course out where we live. Uh, and he just carries around his basket and he's so happy with it. He doesn't like to eat the candy at all. They're all like his little preciouses. He just wants to <laughs> carry them around. Nobody can touch them. He just wants to count them and name off what they are. Um, so it's, it's, uh, it's cool this, I mean, he's only four years old. So his first two, he had no idea what the heck was, do- we were doing. He didn't even want to be out there. Yeah. And then last year he kind of, you know, he rebelled against it until we went to his school function and then he realized that it came with candy. All you had to do was say trick or treat. And, uh, he's been so excited this year because he understands that he's getting candy and how it works. <laughs> and it's kind of cool to see, you know, the maturation. Like he didn't even like opening presents for Christmas until last year and now he's all about it. So, um, you know, it's kind of a, a downside to that is you actually have to get him presents, right? Yeah. But on the plus side, like he actually appreciates the presents and he's not just, you know, throwing the things down so he can go play with, you know, a, a wooden spoon or something like that. So it's kind of been cool to see, you know, how, how much he's looking forward to tomorrow night. So when he's not looking, are you digging into the candy pile? Then? <laughs> I've actually been good. I think because I've been a little bit under the weather that I haven't really uh, been uh, itching for candy. But typically, I'm all about the Snickers and the Almond Joys and uh, the Skittles and things like that. And I'm rifling through there. Um, but I think he has like a pretty strict count on uh, how many of each thing he has. <laughs> yeah. So he'd probably have, yes, he'd, he'd probably, you know, wrap me out just for taking one of his little bars that, that he, you know, is cherishing yeah. at this moment. Uh, almond joy though you're you're not competing with anyone for any of those oh so you don't like almond no joy? no no way wow no I, way. it is a very controversial uh candy I, i'll go there but i like coconut i like chocolate and i like almonds so it's a, it's a perfect you know. mix of the three mix. and i'd be remiss if i didn't bring up your squad dodgers making any major oh, yeah. changes this off season i think so i mean uh obviously kershaw can be a free agent uh their number two starter ryu in the playoffs is a free agent uh, obviously Manny Machado will be gone. I don't think they're signing him. Maybe they go and get Bryce Harper. They obviously structured this season to stay under the luxury tax so they can go back over next year. So, I mean, who are they going to get? Is it going to be Patrick Corbin? Are they going to splurge and keep Kershaw? Are they going to try and go get Harper? I mean, there, there are a lot of options. I could see him trading for Zach Greinke. Uh, I do think it's, you know, the core is still there. You still have Yasiel Puig. You still have Jock Peterson. You still have Max Muncy. You still have Justin Turner, Corey Seager. I think Kershaw will be back. You have Jansen. Uh, you have Kenta Maeda. I mean, you have Walker Bueller, uh, Grandall, the catcher is a free agent, so he'll probably walk because the, the Dodgers have two of the four or five best, uh, catching prospects in the major leagues at the double A level this last year. So, 
Um, there's going to be some turnover, but uh, I, I still think that they're going to have a very strong team and, you know, probably win the National League before losing in the World Series again. <laughs> do you want Kershaw back? Are, have I you do. sold him? Okay. No, I mean, I think he's a legacy player who's earned the right uh, to finish his career in a Dodger jersey just as Kobe Bryant did. Now it's kind of funny because I think Kershaw's only like 31. It's not like he's being put out the pasture, but... He's definitely lost a lot off his stuff. I mean, his his fastball used to be in the mid-90s, and now it's topping out at 91, uh, which I think makes his slider less effective because his slider's about 88, so yeah. it's basically turned that into a cutter. Uh, and the curveball is, is a nasty pitch, but it's hard to command that every single time out. So, um, you know, I, I think he's going to have to learn how to pitch differently unless those miles per hour come back. And I think he thinks that they will because he's dealt with back injuries the last couple of years. And I think he, you know, he may have been dealing with it again this year and, thinks that an off season of health gets him back up to the mid nineties, but it, you know, I think he can be very effective pitching in the, the low nineties like he did for most of this season. He still had an ERA well under three. I just don't think he's going to be that dominant guy. Yeah. Uh, I think Walker Bueller kind of steps into that role and, you know, I mean, Kershaw, he basically has two years, 65 million left on his contract. If he were to opt out of that, I think they'll probably tack on three years and maybe 25 million each. So make it kind of like a five year, $140 million contract, which, is probably overvaluing him, but on the other hand, he's done so much for the organization that he's you know, I think, it. Yeah. yeah, I think it's a Kobe Bryant kind of thing, and I think he'll still be a very effective pitcher, even if he has diminished uh, velocity. He's just not going to be winning Cy Youngs anymore. Could be worse. You could be a Mariners fan. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was fun. a good first half. It was a good first half. <laughs> All right, Chris, dude, seriously, thank you so much for coming on. Some awesome, awesome stuff for you. How do you want people to connect with you? I think everyone who's listening follows you on Twitter. Um, yeah. pl- plug your stuff. Yeah, so I think, oh, it's at Murray NSN. Uh, the website is NevadaSportsNet.com, which I mentioned earlier is free. And then our channel is Channel 21 on Charter and DirecTV. So, yeah, our show runs 4, 7, and 10 o'clock every day. Uh, so you can check that out and check out the website. And uh, I would give out my physical address if people want to send me Almond Joys, but that probably <laughs> – I might get some bad stuff in there too, so I think I'll hold that to myself. Yeah, the Boise fans might get that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Chris. Enjoy your barbecue dinner. Okay. Thank you very much. Okay, let's jump into some slants. Last week it was, wow, San Jose State is bad. This week it's, wow, UNLV is bad because UNLV went to San Jose State last week and San Jose State is no longer winless. Spartans won 50-37. to The Rebels have now allowed 41-plus in all four Mountain West games. They have allowed 50-plus in three of them. Some apologists will say, well, Armani, Armani Rogers isn't playing. He's hurt. I saw he did practice this week, but he's not playing defense. He's not playing middle linebacker for that defense. I mean, maybe you score, you run the ball and you, you keep the defense off the ball, off the field a little bit more, but man, giving up 41 plus in all four conference games is rough. I will say this though. Fresh and wide receiver Tylee Collins. Listen to these stats. Nine catches, 170 yards, four touchdowns. Have a day. But does he win football games? <laughs> Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> and this week will be a pretty tall task as well. You know, be at home against number 20 Fresno. That should go well. Yeah. Actually, there, Fresno was 20 in the AP of the coach. I don't know what they were in the college football playoff ranking. I think, I think it was somewhere around there. It might have been 21. Yeah, that's close enough. Games of the weekend. What do you got? 
Uh, so digging into college, I picked two per usual. Um, I got West Virginia at Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, Texas on a slip last week. West Virginia, they was I can't. When did they play? Were they Friday night or something? Or Thursday no, night? I have no idea. Uh, or whoever it was, but I know they. No, maybe they played on Saturday, but I know whoever it was, they smoked them. So that's gonna be a good game. You got Texas is favored by two over under a fifty eight. Um, then the big one down in the Bayou. Yeah. In Baton Rouge. Yeah. You got Bama going to LSU. Um, number one versus number three. The, do you see the spread on it or the, or the over under or anything? West Virginia beat Baylor last week, by the way. It was on Thursday West, night. Thursday night. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. West, they smacked them. Yeah. But do you see the spread in that Bama LSU game? Yeah. It's two touchdowns. Yeah. I saw it was 15 right before I got. Yeah. So over two touchdowns, like at LSU. I don't know. That, that one is, I mean, you just think that. They're assuming that Alabama is going to do that kind of late end game. You know, I was talking to Albert a little about a little bit about it, and they're going to win twenty four to seven or some something towards the end. They're in the fourth quarter. They're going to put up ten points or something. End up covering. Well, the thing with Bama is they have, their defense has always been unbelievable, and their offense has been somewhat of a liability. And that's not the case this year. They got wide well, receivers, yeah, and they got whatever his name is, Toa Tua, who's yeah. looks. Like he's playing a video game out there. That's not. I'm not even kidding. Mm-hmm. He literally looks like he's playing a video game. Yeah. So Bama now has the offense to match. LSU's still kind of the same offensive team. Mm-hmm. So I I get that why it's a two touchdown spread. Ah oh, man, I, I just, get that. But I just think but it's, 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 like, it's at got, LSU. Got, it's a night yeah, game. It's at yeah. LSU night. You got top of the SEC going at it. It's like you just have a hard time feel. I have a hard time thinking that LSU is you know gonna pretty much roll over it, it's a weird situation because i, I can't stand bama and I, I guess a lot of people who are listening on the west coast feel the same way but mm-hmm. this is a game you want to see bama win probably because if bama loses it's likely they're, 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 oh, they're, they're not gonna, gonna win their, the they're pl- not even gonna win their division and they're still and they're gonna, gonna get it. into the playoff yeah it's, it's gonna happen true. so i'd That's, rather I, i'd rather see bama win the sec and get in that way then watch them yet again, not even win their division and get in. But at the same time, like Bama's unbelievable. Yeah, exactly. It's, They're one of the best teams in the country. It's it's the most frustrating point because you you want to argue against it, but all the logic says that they deserve to be in. They're a wagon. Every, yeah, exactly. They're a wagon. Some other games I have circled: Georgia at Kentucky, number six Georgia, eleven Kentucky. I don't know where they were in the playoff poll but it's somewhere up there penn state at michigan mm-hmm. so do you see what this, there's a re- lot of really good yeah. games this weekend yeah i saw on espn right before we right before we started recording i they had like six games up and i was like holy crap there's some really good games this weekend awesome weekend for college football and there should be another really good one in the pac-12 and the reality is it's not even a good game it's such a bad game now it's on the pac-12 freaking network this game should be on ABC in primetime or Fox in primetime. And it's a, it's a complete joke. Both teams have been so disappointing. How are we going to go to Cal and lose? I, how, 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 how? I don't have, I don't have an answer for you, bud. I've been asking the same thing. Jesus. Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. Three losses this year. Playoff aspirations, and we're not even ranked right now. I saw, yeah, it's, I did see that. That's that's yeah. awful. God. All right, let's move on to NFL. What do you got? All right. Well, 
the obvious one is the Sunday night game. You got Packers at Patriots. Um, you know, you have it's someone was saying, or I think it was Al Michaels, or he said it's only gonna be like the second time Brady and Rodgers have faced each other. Yep. Yeah, so it's pretty crazy. But in that one, you got New England's favored by six in Foxborough, over under 57. Another good game, it's going to be sneaky good, is the Rams at the Saints. Yep. That's going to be balling. And the one thing that's crazy in that game, the Saints are actually favored. So the Rams are the last remaining undefeated. They're 8-0. But the Saints are a point-and-a-half favorite in that game. And the over-under is 60. So they're expecting points galore in that game. Rams are going Uh, down, by the way. That's their first L. That's the first L you're calling it? The Saints are legit. Yes. I bet against them like an idiot on Monday. Yes, you did. Uh, <laughs> um, the other one, new era, the Greg Williams era. Oh, God. We got Chiefs at Browns. Watch watch the Chiefs come in and just lose to Cleveland. I'm, no I'm, shot. Oh, that's what they say. And then when the Browns win, I'm gonna put that on. We're gonna do that in the segment for something stupid you said. Me saying there's no <laughs> shot of the Browns beating the Chiefs is something I will I'll, I will die on that hill. I have no problem dying on that hill. I went from being so, so, then do, so then we, do we start a new segment where it's like something genius Adam said. That's fine. If the Browns win, we can start that slant. Okay. I went from being really excited about Baker Mayfield and the Browns to now just feeling bad for Baker Mayfield. Yikes! It's yeah. it, it was it got exciting and now it's very it's starting to feel very brownish. No, well, I mean, like, I still think you look at the situation and stuff that he's come from. I think he's gonna be fine. Um, just looking at the Browns organization as a whole, like, I kind of had the mindset that I actually thought they were gonna keep Hugh. Actually, I thought I my prediction was Haley was gonna be the first to go, and I guess Haley and Hugh kind of went out together, but. I mean, even even when they got a couple wins this year and they were keeping it close to games, you could still just see it was just it wasn't right. It was it was it was something that was being held together by duct tape. So it's like, yeah, it's still there, but it's not. You know, that is not put together very well. So yeah, but I think Baker will be fine. He'll figure it out. A couple other games that are going to be nice on Sunday: Pittsburgh at Baltimore, AFC North football, mm-hmm. and also the Los Angeles Chargers at. The four and three Seattle Seahawks. Dun, 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 dun. The now we have an offensive line Seattle Seahawks. Yeah. The I, now we can run the football Seattle Seahawks. So don't look now. It's starting to look kind of nice. It's starting <laughs> to look kind of nice. All I'm just gonna say is I've just been I've been eating my words because my guess on the win total this year for Seattle we're about to hit it. <laughs> so oh wait we talked about that we I was in full tank mode. I was like, yeah. let's get that number one five. pick, baby. Yeah. I, yeah. So they're, they're about to match it. So hey, when, hey when, but I, when, I don't, I don't mind it. When Seattle rose to its powers, 2012, 2013, 2014, it was on defense and running the ball. Right now, Seattle's playing defense and it's running the ball. Just saying. All right. Let's jump into some Twitter questions. We got a lot from you guys again. To, so to everyone who submitted a question, you guys are the absolute best. Andrew via email. This is a good question. Nevada's next game comes against Colorado State, who actually beat Arkansas earlier this year before losing to Illinois State, an FCS team. Would you want to see Nevada finally beat an SEC team if it meant they would also lose to an FCS team in the same season? Ooh, that's a good question. It is. What do you got? Um, 
God, that's a tough one. Uh, I'd probably say no because the satisfaction of beating an SEC team would be instantly wiped out by losing to an FCS team. It's the I don't know if it's the human condition or or just the being a sports fan, but yeah, it's the the low is what you remember. I feel like from those two. Uh-huh. Yeah, you do need to consider yeah, though who you're playing. Like if Nevada were to beat Bama, then you could lose to whoever you want. I mean, it'd be a head scratcher, but yeah. you would say, "Holy shit, we beat Bama." Arkansas this year is two and seven. They're terrible. Yeah, they also lost at home to North Texas. Their two, their, <laughs> their two wins are against East Illinois and Tulsa. So, I if if you if you beat a terrible SEC team and then lose to an FCS team, I don't think people even look at that. And people will say Arkansas sucks, and you lost to an FCS team, so you <laughs> also you also suck. So yep. unless it's a win over a good SEC team, then I think you probably take it. But either way, a, a loss to an FCS team is. Not great. Yeah. Not great. By the way, Nevada's one SEC opponent this year, Vanderbilt, is four and five. But a, yeah. but a winnable, uh, manageable finish to the season, I think there's a pretty good chance, uh, Vandy gets a no bowl. On Twitter, let me pull open the app here. All right. Um, from some scrub named Aaron Schaup. I, I, I don't know who that would be. After that win against SDSU, what are the chances Nevada wins out? And if so, what's the best possible bowl scenario for the Wolfpack? So Nevada's got Colorado State at home. It's got San Jose State on the road. And it's got UNLV on the road. If you guys remember way back on the second show or episode number 002, I said that San Jose State game was going to be tricky. And San Jose State starting to look kind of feisty. They should have beat, they could have maybe beat San Diego State. They just waxed UNLV. But pretty mm-hmm. good chance. I think Chris Murray tweeted a few things out this week that Nevada has one of the best chances in all of college football to win out. So I, I would say those chances are pretty strong. In terms of best possible bowl scenario for Wolfpack, you still got Utah State ahead of Nevada. You have Boise State ahead of Nevada. You have Fresno State ahead of Nevada and maybe even San Diego State. Nevada, depending on on how this the season shakes out, so those are those are a lot of teams still ahead of ahead of Nevada. A lot of dominoes would have to fall right for Nevada to get to a respective bowl. And we'll talk more about bowls here in a second, but I think best case you're looking at something like the the Arizona Bowl or the New Mexico Bowl, and you're going to be playing a, a Conference USA team, something like that, Memphis or something. Yeah. Um. Also, for anyone who didn't catch that, Aaron is our third brother. Aaron, thanks for listening, bro. Uh, Blake asks, are the Sacramento Kings for real? <laughs> so when I got that question, I had to open the app. I'm like, what? Are they actually winning basketball games? The Kings are 5-3. and three. I think they've won four in a row. It's kind of like a Brown situation. I mean, how many years are you going to pick in the top five before you start having actual talent? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they've won five of eight in October. Win some games in in March and April, and then then we then we can talk Sacramento Kings. <laughs> Austin asks, Mus already said he wants as many different uniforms this year as last year with Nike. Nevada, obviously, an Adidas school now. What is your best uni design idea? What old uniform style do you want to see make a comeback? You got anything for this one? I got. I mentioned it a couple episodes ago. The the Nevada State. Uh, unis they had the dark blue with kind of the yellow outline those were i think the sickest uniforms they had 
Um, as for like, what was the other part? It was like a style. Yeah. It's like we're talking like going in short shorts and. <laughs> no, I like I'm thinking more like the uniforms Nevada wore for San Francisco State. I thought were sick as hell. They had mm-hmm. the the old school wolf. I think they need to bring the old school wolf back as much as possible. Yeah, that thing is nice. So I I would implement that on more uniforms. The Battleborn uniforms that you mentioned were also sick, and so when Nevada lost mm-hmm. Nike uniforms, a lot of people was, were, oh man, we lose those. So I'd be curious to see if Nevada has its own Battleborn version yeah. of, of that uniform. Yeah, the only thing I'd say with uniforms, there is a fine line though, because sometimes when you do start to cross and get too kind of eccentric, almost like it almost gets in the situation of the jerseys they wore against UW. Is I never really saw them that much, and then I saw them that night, and those things did look like practice jerseys. <laughs> Yeah, they, they, the whole, well, see, the whole it, might, it might be one of those things where it looks funky to start, and then as the season goes along, they grow on you. But I, my first impression when I saw them the first time was also they look a little bit like practice uniforms. Yeah, they got to hill the climb if they're going to get in my book. Clark asks, it's a butte, Clark. Do you expect to see improved defense and improved three-point shooting from Nevada basketball in the opening game versus BYU? Which early weakness will be easier to correct? So we mentioned Nevada's three-point shooting numbers. Not great. 10 for 48. That's 21%. I would absolutely expect that number to be better on Tuesday. But, uh, I mean, those were live reps. They were at home. One was in the Virginia Street gym, and it didn't go well. So we're certainly hoping to see better numbers. Defensively on the perimeter, UW shot 50%, 11 for 22. San Francisco State, not great at all. 9 for 31 and the second half was particularly bad when Nevada did buckle down a little bit. So those two opponents shot 38%. I would exp- 38% is probably a reasonable number. I mean, that's not egregious. 50% for UW is. I'd expect Nevada to shoot better. Defensively, there's a lot to figure out. They miss Lindsey Drew out there guarding the perimeter. I would say probably defense is the easier one to correct because in a lot of ways, that's an effort thing. That's a hustle thing. It's... Knowing where you need to be and when you need to be, it's hustling out to the line. Offensively, these guys know how to shoot, but it's getting into rhythm now and, and actually getting their shots, and that might take some time to actually get into that rhythm, get into that flow. So I would say defense is probably the easier of the two. Uh, Law of the Jungle, NV. Again, if you guys aren't following Law of the Jungle, NV on Twitter, you need to. Some awesome, awesome game day stuff on there. What's the f- focus for the buy this week? And we're getting our head ourselves, but bowl prediction. What bowl? And how ready are you for basketball? So I would say focus for bye week. The team's been going at it now for a couple months. Is one get right from a health standpoint. You know, get off your legs, get to relax a little bit, but get away from football. You know, you've probably been neglecting some parts of your life, whether it's getting into the books or hanging out with people you haven't hung out with, just trying to get some sort of balance back. Because when season starts, I mean, you become consumed with it. So I, w- I would say focusing on things that have nothing to do with football is what I would say if I were the head coach. I don't know if that's new AG or, or not, but that, that's where I would go with that. Um, in terms of bowl scenarios, you have Utah State, you have Fresno State, you have Boise State and maybe even San Diego State, I mentioned, that could ultimately be ahead of Nevada. I think best case, you have Utah State or Fresno State run the table, and one of them gets into the New Year's Six Bowl. You probably need UCF to lose 
a game as well. So they'd get into the New Year's Six Bowl. Then you need the other schools ahead of Nevada to lose out, something to go south there. And then maybe Nevada can sneak into the Las Vegas Bowl against a Pac-12 team. But you would need a lot to go right for Nevada, and I think that's probably unlikely. So we're probably looking at the Arizona Bowl against the Sun Belt or the New Mexico Bowl against Conference USA. Probably. Those aren't going to be great bowls, but Nevada hasn't gone to a bowl in two years. So I would say those probably two most likely. How ready are you for basketball? Adam, go. I'm ready. That's all there is to say is that, you know, it's all the hype. There's all the talk, all the reports, all the everything. It's, it's all kind of just funneling down to November 6th. So, I mean, there's only so much you can do to get ready for it. So I guess at that point, it's like once you're just ready for the game to start, that's where I'm at. I'm just ready for the season to get going. We've been reading about it. We've been talking about it. We've been thinking about it. I'm the exact same boat. Let's go. Like, let's tip, let's throw the ball up in the air and, and let's make it happen. Yeah. I, I'm so pumped to watch the game on Tuesday and, and to see how all this plays out and, and how it starts. I, I think it, most people who are listening feel the exact same way. Yeah. Let's freaking go. It's going to be such a fun year for Nevada. Um, Todd asks, next Tuesday's atmosphere should be absolutely electric. I agree. What's your favorite Nevada basketball game you've ever attended? So this actually started a pretty fun um, thread on Twitter. If you guys want to go see it, just go into tweets that I've, we've liked from the Reno Slant, and you'll see it on there, and a lot of people going back and forth. A lot of fun games from games that um, I had no interest in Nevada at the time. <laughs> I, I married into the Nevada basketball community, <laughs> being yeah. be, be my first job out of school. So I have a much smaller sample size. A few games that came to mind for me were the final regular season game of the 16-17 season against Colorado State to clinch, to clinch the regular season title. That game was close early. They ended up winning by something like 13 points. Cam went for 29-17 and in that game. Obviously a celebration after that one. But really the game that I go to, and I don't know if this is cheesy or not, but it was game three to clinch the CBI, CBI title in Mus's first year. Mm-hmm. It, it wasn't a sellout, but that crowd was loud. They were into it. It was a playoff game. It was to win something. It was coming off a nine-win season. The game went to overtime. Nevada ended up winning by three. That was just a crazy game. It was so much fun. And even then, like I don't, I don't know if it's just easy to remember it this way, but it felt like, all right. They're on to something here. Like that, that, that win felt important. And the players went crazy. The fans went crazy. So for me, a much smaller sample size, I, I probably go to that CBI title game against Moorhead State. Do, do you have, does anyone jump out at you? Yeah. Well, that CBI title game, I remember that one being pretty crazy, but mine. So obviously, you know, when I was growing, when we were growing up, I didn't really keep up with the best. So a lot of those older games, I, we were out of my picture. And then during my years in school, I caught the tail end of Must, but obviously the kind of goes without saying where the basketball program was when I was in school. Yeah. So there wasn't a whole lot of. I mean, I'm sure there were some good wins in there, but coming from a Not student's a perspective, yeah, Not a lot. From a, yeah. But I was saying, coming from a student's perspective, at that time everybody was a lot more focused on football. So, yeah. so I I definitely kind of missed the boat on some of those games. We got a lot of questions from you guys this week. Again, we really appreciate. It. We know we're going a little bit long, but we got a lot of fun stuff. It's gonna be it's gonna be tough to see how we handle this actually during football. And basketball season. We'll get to that here in a second. But fake Matt Mummy asks, 
now that you've been in Southern Nevada for a while, which is better, Bolius Sports Bar or PTs? So for people up in Reno who aren't familiar, PTs is a – there's a PTs on every corner. It's like Starbucks in Seattle <laughs> down here in Vegas. It's a sports bar, a massive chain down here. And hand up, I haven't been inside one PTs. So I'll go Bolies by default. Um, and just go there. That's all I can really say about it. I have, I've yet to be in a PTs. I was invited last week, but I was covering a football game, so I, I didn't get to go. 15th and Virginia asks, besides the two big, or the big two, UNLV and Boise, which Mountain West school do you like the least? What do you got for this one? It was between UNLV and Boise? No. Excluding Sorry. those two. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Exclude, why not between those two, not including those two. Yes. Um, which team do I like the least? Oh my, that's, that's actually kind of a tough one. It's um, a good one. For a weird reason, I would probably say San Jose State just because they're always inferior in every sport. Everybody just wants them to go away. They keep coming back every year. So they're just like annoyingly there. And then they like snag a game when it mat, you know, like you're talking about these trap games. They, they finally snag one in whatever sport and they're just, they're like the, they're like a mosquito. <laughs> they keep like buzz, buzzing around. They come back. They bite you once in a while, and then they just take off again. San Jose State was one that came to mind for me, just because there's no way around it. They're hurting the conference. Mm-hmm. Basketball is gonna be terrible this year. Football is one and seven. They're just a liability for the Mountain West at whole right now. Yeah. But really, if you want to dig into it, I talked about how much Nevada has struggled with San Diego State on the hardwood. I'd probably have to go San Diego State. Just because they're a team that, even as Nevada has continued to emerge, has continued to give Nevada problems. I mean, I went to the Mountain West Tournament game versus San Diego State last year down here, and that was a beatdown of epic proportions. That was graphic. That was was rough. So I I would probably have to go San Diego State. And we got one more from Law of the Jungle NV. Will you be doing more frequent episodes during basketball when there's multiple games per week? This is a great question, something we've talked about a lot. We were talking about, actually, again, just before we came on. At least for now, we're going to start out doing, still doing our show once a week on Wednesday night. I think we'd rather put out one good podcast than two kind of crappy podcasts. That's one of it, or one reason for it. We This routine has worked for us so far, so that's another reason for it. But certainly, if if... People want us to put out more podcasts <laughs> and there becomes a movement in that trend. Then I think that's something we'll have to pay attention to. I know during the holidays, our schedule is going to get a little funky. And when it, when it really gets crazy during Mountain West tournament time and hopefully NCAA tournament time, I think we'll adjust our schedule. We'll probably have to do a, at least a couple each week as stuff's coming and going. But at least for the time being, our plan is to stick with one podcast once a week, going to come out on Wednesday nights. There's going to be, I think, five times in conference play. There's games on Wednesday nights, so we're going to be recording late. But that gives us – it's going to be kind of fun, though. It gives us a chance to give us some immediate reaction to games. So that would be kind of fun. So, yeah, as of now, plan will remain to stay at one show a week. Yeah, I was going to say, if you think about Ron Swanson, never half-ass two things, whole-ass one whole thing. Whole-ass one thing, exactly. Exactly. All right, random Reno, and then let's get out of here wrapping up our longest show so far. Oh, I need a nap. You want to take this one? <laughs> I got it. Ta- right. Tahoe Tessie. Go on Tahoe Ooh. Tessie. Yeah. Ooh. America's own Loch Ness. Our version. The better version. Do you want to guess 
<laughs> this is so funny. Do you want to guess how fast Tahoe Tessie is rumored to move? Oh, Tessie clears 40 miles an hour. Higher. Uh, I'm going to 50. Higher. 60. 60 miles an hour Tahoe Tessie allegedly moves. I. That's booking. <laughs> Do you want to guess how, how, how big is Tahoe Tessie? Tahoe, oh my, I, how long? I'm, I'm embarrassed that I don't know this. Oh, or are you guessing like if you stretched the head all the way out and yep. the tail all the way out? Head, head to tail. Okay. Hmm. 37 feet. 80 feet. What? She's a big fish. Not it's only is fact. she long, she moves. And it's a fact. It is lurking in the water. <laughs> She's out there. <laughs> Gotta be careful. Yeah. Okay. That's that's actually good. Todd, Tessie's huge and quick. Never going in that water again. Um, <laughs> mine. Blue jeans were invented by Reno-based tailor Jacob Davis. Mm. So if you got a you got a pair of blue jeans on, thank old Mister Davis because so, he hooked you up. So so far we've learned in random Reno that Re- Reno is responsible for the invention of blue jeans for roller coasters for the Ferris wheel. For happy, just happiness in general. Great point. <laughs> and also for chimpanzees using sign language. It's just that melting pot you just want to raise a family in. It's raise just, it's just the hub of innovation. The global <laughs> hub of innovation. And it's not even hyperbole. <laughs> that is a really fun note to end our show on this week. Thank you to all of you who listen every single week. Or maybe you're new this week. Either way, really appreciate you. Thank you to Chris Murray of Nevada Sportsnet for coming on the show and sharing his thoughts. Some really awesome stuff from him. A few better people to talk about Nevada sports than than Chris. So really happy to have him on. Hopefully we get him on again soon. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. Adam's first this week. At Shop Adam. At Shop Nathan or at the Reno Slant. You can also email us thereno_slant at gmail.com if you're not on Twitter. If you've been meaning to leave us a five-star review, and I know you have, it's a really simple process. Open the iTunes app, leave us a five-star review. I dare you to leave us a five-star review. Then you get in the running for the iTunes five-star review of the week. Todd, thank you for yours this week. I'll make sure and get you that money on Venmo. Just um, send us a message on Twitter. Either way, get us, let us know your Venmo handle. And I, I think it's Adam this week. I got you, Todd. Shoot me, shoot me a tweet, and I'll I'll fire it your way. All right. So Adam will take care of that. We will be back next week. Yes, we're going to share our thoughts on BYU, but basketball is back next week. Or football is back next week. We'll break down the Colorado State game. There's also a basketball game next Friday against Pacific. So we got that as well. All sorts of stuff. Tip off on at Lawler on Tuesday night, 8 o'clock, CBS Sports. If you don't have a ticket, but I would recommend going to that one. That's going to be a Man, it's going to be a fun game Tuesday night against BYU. So here we go. Basketball season's here. We will see you guys next week. Go Pack. Thanks for listening to the Reno Slant, the podcast for Northern Nevada sports fans. Until next time, and we're still not talking about the Loyalist Chicago tournament game.